on the Pilot TV podcast this week, we're saying hello to Jason Isaacs as he suits up as Cary Grant in ITV Limited series Archie, looking at a dysfunctional family in Crawley with Kat Sadler's sitcom Such Brave Girls on BBC Three and uncovering a well-kept secret along with Jodie Whittaker in One Night on Paramount+. Plus. But that is not all because we are joined on this week's show not only by Jason Isaacs and his Archie co-star Laura Aikman, but the man, the myth, the legend, Time Lord extraordinaire and master of the TARDIS, Russell T Davis, to talk all things Doctor Who. I'm James Dyer and welcome to the Pilot TV podcast, your essential guide to every show that matters, and a podcast that would like to offer its heartfelt congratulations to all those Swifties who were able to finally snap up tickets this week when Taylor announced them two extra dates in August next year, a cruel summer no longer. Uh, but we're not here to talk about Taylor Swift, you'll be pleased to hear. Instead, we are consumed with joy. Because as you know, the actor strike is over. And as a result, we've been inundated with talent over the past week or so. So much so that the much vaunted Keanu Reeves interview that we mentioned last week, which did actually happen, and Kay's still looking at me for pronouncing it Keanu instead Keanu. of Keanu. I mean, who says uh, that? It will appear on next week's show. Uh, we will also have former Time Lord Jodie Whittaker on to talk about One Night, which we'll be reviewing later in this episode, but she'll be on next week as well. So when I ask her what she'll be doing on the date of the 25th of November when Doctor Who comes back, yeah. that answer is now moot. Yeah, so everyone. that, that question's that ruined. Yeah. ruined. I've just fine. ruined the interview. Fine. The whole thing is yeah. just moot. In fact, R- you know what, we scrapped ridden, the whole thing. Ridden roughshod. <laughs> and of oh. course, her answer was great. Yeah. But anyway, we'll keep it in. Talent wrangling is a very difficult job, it boy. And speaking of talent... I'm joined today, as ever, by two giants of journalism, patricians of punditry and barons of broadcast. They are the jewels in Heat Magazine's entertainment crown. I refer, of course, to Kay Ribeiro and Boyd Hilton. Hi, James. Hi. Hi. That's quite a nice you intro. Yeah. yeah. It's good. Must have, uh, must have been that <laughs> difficult. <laughs> Challenge. Yeah, there we go. You know, I try to be nice every once in a while. I just throw a curveball your mm. way. It was. It was confusing. I was like, what, what's happening? So I go from I go from being nice to you on the podcast, and then I'll just kind of like slag you off on the Pilot TV Pod subreddit. Yes, I bet you. Oh yeah. no! Yeah. Yeah. yeah, that's right. Yeah. Stop trying to make that a thing. Stop trying to make the subreddit happen. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. You've mentioned it at least four times. Well, no because one's engaged because we've with got it. quite a lot of people on the Empire Podcast subreddit, but the Pilot TV Pod subreddit is sadly lacking in people. So everyone, can you please go and sign up to the Pilot TV Pod subreddit? Maybe there's a reason for that. Maybe, maybe, they maybe there is. Yeah. Maybe there is. Look, see, this is this is what I have to put up with. After having brought Boyd and Kay the gift of chocolate, chocolate, <laughs> it wasn't chocolate. Chocolate is <laughs> nothing. Chocolate sounds a bit like mocklet, which brings us back to friends again. No, I'm talking chocolate specifically. The big bad, big bad, the big bad. I can't speak this morning. No. What's going on? The big bad, which may or may not be the big bag, which may or may not be bad of chocolate buttons that I brought in today. Yes. Well, the problem is you're recording. We're recording this at lunchtime. Yes. Because of which your schedule. Your buttons. I know. It's I, I brought your buttons. Yeah, buttons for lunch. Yeah. I, don't, I mean, what? it's the lunch of kings, yeah. boy. Well. It's the Did lunch you of buy kings. It for us, or were they leftover? No, no, I bought them for you. I mean, oh. admittedly, I mean, they are nearly empty. As they well, are nearly say. empty. But in my defence, when I said to you we're going to start promptly at one o'clock, and you were both late, I was like, oh, "Fuck oh, this! I'm opening them. I'm opening them." Three minutes. So I opened them. And for every minute you, you were late, them, I ate a handful of buttons. You wore them down in three minutes. Yep, that's what oh, happened. Wow. So, you know, you've only got yourselves to blame. Okay, well, next time I'm going to get a bag of chocolate <laughs> for every minute you're late, which is often quite I mean, extensive. Last, a week before yeah. last, that was 40 minutes. Yeah. To be oh fair, that God, was a remote yes. recording and that doesn't count. Wow. Well. Wow. <laughs> yeah. Oh, good times. Anyway, right, what have we been watching? Boyd! 
Tell us. Okay, I will. Um, on the on the plus side, uh, there's um, well, the Crown, which we reviewed in um, Pilot Plus. But I know some people, you know, like to like to like to know what we think of stuff around. You know, be, who don't subscribe. I mean, everyone should subscribe. Everyone should subscribe. Bargain. But I also, um, as I said on that, I think you two watched the first episode. We did. Yes. Season. And six, you watched them all. Oh, well, I've watched them all. I've watched the four. Um, but just to reiterate. Briefly, in general, I, I completely devoured them because it is so compelling and gripping. But I find the whole idea of this show, mm. in which they recreate meticulously these huge events, including in this in this run, you know, Diana's funeral, is just such an extraordinary undertaking. I'm kind of in awe of the whole thing. So I'm kind of on side in general for the whole thing, and I and I've loved you know certain seasons yeah. more than others. But in general, it's been an incredible. Kind of um, exciting. I'm trying to avoid using the word journey, adventure. Watching this, thing. and I'm not even. I'm not a royalist, you know. I'm actually a republican. I can't stand the royal family in many ways. But anyway, the whole thing's been very exciting. But the ghost thing is what the ghost thing, which I mentioned in the other point. Yeah, and I've seen other. And now all the reviews are coming out. It's like, yeah, uh, what the fuck? Were it they it has had a kicking. <laughs> it, has, it, has it has had a kicking. Yeah. What have they said? I haven't read. Well, the Guardian gave it two stars and said mm. said that the ghost thing was like literally like unbelievable. And it, what just to say quickly, I think I, I may not have I thought. I was worried about spoiling it on the on the pilot plus, but you know, I think it's, I think we can. It's out it's, now. It, isn't it has been mentioned quite widely. I think. I mean, I don't know what you're going to say, but I'm pretty sure I know what you're going to say. So I will say, if you don't want to hear, yeah. A small fact around the ghost thing, maybe maybe skip ahead about okay. twenty seconds. Okay, thank you. Yeah. So the ghosts, the uh, Princess Diana appear. The late Princess Diana, after she's died in the famous car crash, appears to both the Queen and Charles in two separate scenes, literally sitting next to them, you know, round the table or something, and then they converse with her. They have a chat with what? her. Yeah. And then Dodi also appears to his dad, Mohammed Al-Fayed, in another scene. What? So these two... I, yeah, right? Now, the problem I have with this is it's completely unclear what the fuck is actually going on. So you don't know. Do, is the Queen imagining that Diana's there? And by coincidence, so does Charles imagine that Diana's no, there that in separate be. scenes? Is there actually some kind of ghostly apparition appearing to them both? Are they just imagining this thing because when people die, you miss them so much, you do commune with the dead somehow? Is it a drama? of that idea it's completely unclear what is exactly what is going on in these scenes and it feels like Peter Morgan the writer has just gone I want to do this thing I want to kind of you know kick for the fences what's that phrase? Swing for the fences Swing for the fences But if you want to kick for the fences you go for it It's not enough that I've dramatised all this stuff that people obviously know because it's such recent memory I've got to throw in something really bold and it's like no it just does not work It's such a sensitive subject as it is right and it was it was going to be a minefield for him to tackle why he would think it necessary to throw that in It's not even the sensitivity issue that bothers me It's what the fuck is going on issue that bothers me me. Watch it. All I say is watch it and, and, and see what you think. It's just. I think it is a sensitive thing as well. Why would you need to evoke the ghost of someone who's, I mean, you know, had I a very there, to be, yeah. public downfall sure. and death? Like, is it necessary? Is it tasteful? It's, it's, it's definitely not necessary. And it's not even, it's, it's kind of vaguely tasteful. It's just bizarre. It's just bizarre. Mm. It's the main one. Anyway. Let's get over that. But the rest of the series, I really enjoyed, just to say. <laughs> okay. At any point, you know, did, did Diana come and help 
help Charles make sort of pottery at a wheel? Was there anything, you know, with the Righteous Brothers playing? Was there any kind of like throwback to Ghost? Was that, was that what was that? Because I'd be on board for that if I'm, if I'm honest <laughs> That with you. would have been really tasteful. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> if they'd recreate, imagine that recreated Ghost with Diana and Charles. Oh, yeah. Wow. Wow. That would have been, that would have been really bold, to be fair. That would have been. Prospect Place William. That's a good gag. That's a good gag. <laughs> okay. Yes. Anyway, that's The Crown. So I've watched all that. And I now actually can't wait for the final episodes that arrive soon in December, which we'll hopefully we'll cover then. Um, there is that show on Apple that you always talk about that we could actually review to narrow next down. week. Slow Horses. Oh yes, yes. Watched, watched all of that. Yeah. All of it. Oh, all of oh, it. Well, I mean, up. it's embargo. It's, well, we can't take it. I don't embargo. even know if it is. I actually think the embargo it lifts. It's not lifted yet. Uh, oh, and on Monday. Good point. Yeah, no, does. you're right. It will yeah. have lifted by the time we go yeah. out. But obviously, if we review but it now, there'll be no it. need to I, do it I next won't week. Spoil it. But so I watched seven episodes in one go. I mean, you know, yeah. did you? Nothing. I did much the same thing. Yeah, yeah. Um, oh, look, you're smug. When I saw it many off. months ago, obviously, yes, before you even <laughs> could say what it was. <laughs> so disgustingly smug. Yeah. They're non. Those are all positives. Oh, I. You know what I've started doing as well. Is this ties into the Rusty Davis interview we've got on the on the pod, etc. So you, the, the BBC has created the Hooniverse, which is a actual specific place on iPlayer on the BBC iPlayer where you can watch all of the old episodes of Doctor Who, pretty much as everyone knows, apart from the very first storyline. Why not the first one? No, <laughs> which you can get on Britbox, <laughs> apparently. But so I've started watching old Doctor Who, and this is the first time for me I've actually ever done this because well, I'm not. Like, Boyd's not a rewatcher. I've said before, he's I'm not, not a rewatcher. So I watched this stuff when I was a kid. I watched, you know, when I was I, my some of my earliest memories are watching Doctor Who when I was must have been six, five or six, Aww. and I watched John Pertwee's first um, story this week, which is which is um, incredible. Does it hold up to your memory of it? It kind of does in 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 a in a weird way, yeah. It's called the his first story was called Spearhead from Space, and it aired in 1970. Now I was three, so I don't know. I don't know whether I must have re they must have repeated it somehow. Fuck knows. I can't be remembering it from when I was three, but I I thought I remembered quite clearly John Pertwee emerging. They kind of keep so he regenerates, but he he just kind of arrives at the beginning of the series, have after taking over from Patrick Trout and up up till that point, and they don't show his face for quite a long time. They kind of keep you keep you wondering what it's going to look like for ages. It's all mostly shot on film, which really helps as well, because a lot of later Doctor Who is shot on video, mixed with video and film, as most shows were back in that day. And the video stuff always looks really cheesy and terrible. Is as, he just shot from the back or is he wearing a mask? For a while, he's shot from the back, yeah. <laughs> and he then suddenly kind of rolls over in bed. He's taken to hospital because, oh. yeah, he, he's, he's... Nothing serious, I hope. Well, he doesn't know what's happened to him because it's all it's all weird. He doesn't quite get what's going on. And then he <laughs> sees his face and he tries to work out. Anyway, it's just a joy, the fact that all these things are there. And I know Russell T. Davis talks about in the interview how, you know, just in the morning you watch you watch an old episode over breakfast mm. and um, do you remember last week Joe Barton's mm. son said yeah, yeah, yeah. he talked He'd... about how his son started watching so it's a thing it's a thing and I'm joining in with that whole thing and I'll be watching more classic Who episodes from the past um, I watched the Robbie Williams documentary Have you oh yeah that yet? no but you told me about you'd watch the first episode when it's I a bit you. yeah it's not as good as the um, the brilliant Beckham documentary for me which is I, I absolutely loved um, it's completely like Robbie it's literally Robbie lying in bed in his pants for four hours. What? Yes. Well, I mean, you know, they've edited it down from pretty even longer. Looking back at old video footage of himself, a lot of a lot of which apparently has never seen before. A lot of it's filmed by um, the guy, guy Guy Chambers, who yeah. he was his creative partner for years. But there are no contributors, are there? There are no contributors. I find that so strange. So <laughs> ever. So unlike it's almost the complete opposite. Beckham, every single major person in oh, his life was who? in that. Yeah. You know, from like 
Alex Ferguson to what's the name editor of Vogue. Yeah. And no one. You get a glimpse of his wife. Ada at one point and she like my you get a glimpse of his little his daughter who's a delight he's, he actually there's one bit where his daughter comes into his bedroom while he's watching some footage and asks him about it and that's really sweet that's like a major highlight just to see him interacting mm. with her and she's kind of like being quite um, kind he's, of like he's... parental with him which I thought was very revealing <laughs> like he's, he's how old she is 10, 11 years old and she's like yeah you can do that daddy blah blah blah, blah. and he's still a kid basically um, but, but it's he, weird he's performed with so many amazing people he's yeah. met so right. many incredible people so I just yeah. don't understand why why he wouldn't no, want that it's input. Weird. It is bizarre. It's you want bizarre. you want your Howards you and want Guy, your Guy Chambers. You want, your... you want as well. You know yeah, who is in all in half this footage. Yeah, um, film half this footage, and then to relationship is fascinating. Kylie. Yeah, get they, Jerry but on just, board. I, I guess it's a decision. You know, that it's up to them. They've made it, but I feel it Not doesn't the right make decision. I, I, I think it's, it feels a bit misguided. Mm. But it is. There's lots of really interesting moving stuff because he is completely an open book about his mental health issues, of which he has many. His, his anxiety, what it's like to have to perform to hundred thousand or two hundred thousand people at Glastonbury or whatever, and have that anxiety. Mm. You know, and that all of that stuff is really revealing and interesting. But and he, you know, and, he, and he's very likable. I think in many ways. I'm not a huge fan of his music. There's about four songs I really like. But um, what's your favourite Robbie song? Oh, feel easy. Mm. You know, Pet Shop Boys style Robbie Williams song. Uh, not Angels. I would hurt you oh, down. Oh God, no, no. Uh, but that whole the story of how that is the turning point in his life is is interesting. All that stuff is fascinating. So it's interesting, and yet I wish they'd done the contributors thing. Uh, but finally. The real oh. blow of my week was I thought I'd try out because you kept saying well in the in when we were had you know when you had a couple of busy weeks in the last few weeks you kept saying oh Boyd and Kay will watch this and come back and with the, and oh like, yes yeah. he's done it I've done it 007, colon Road to a Million the, the show that the show that crucially Brian Cox is only involved in because he <laughs> thought he'd been cast as yeah. a new Bond villain I mean we have to that is hilarious. That's a joke. <laughs> That's a joke. I don't right? think well, it I don't was. Think, I don't know. <laughs> no. He was on. No, no, no. He was on. What was Jimmy Kimmel or one of the so, Jimmy yeah. shows? One of the, he must have been joking. I don't think he was. Well, I, I tell you this, right? I've, I mean, having watched it as well, it's even more. It feels even more apparent that he didn't know what he was getting him, <laughs> laying himself in for, <laughs> as he wrote, wrote, like reads out clues to these poor contestants as they're climbing up mountains in All right, Scotland. Wait, wait, wait. Set, out, set the scene. So, what is it? It is about? A, a complete. No, I can't say that for legal reasons. It's a it's a melange <laughs> of race. It's very very similar to Race Across the World. Oh, okay. Yeah, with a bit of I'm a celebrity thrown in because they have like some animal bits like snakes, eat some and, testicles. Okay, yeah, it's testicles. a bit of that um, and spiders and stuff because mm. there was some famous scenes with spiders and snakes in, in James Bond films. So it's like Race Across the World duos who could be any kind of duo. That same idea. Yeah. Given clues and they have to instead of like they're having to go to different points in on you know and it's all locations yeah all location all around the world and and, and so the idea is that it's 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 in the bond universe because they're going to locations featured but it's literally like italy (laughs) it's been in loads of uh, yeah sometimes like it begins in scotland where skyfall in in skyfall james bond drives in his you know in his aston martin it's a spectacular landscape in this they're like in somewhere in scotland nearby and they're kind of like climbing up a mountain and have to find a thing and take out find the clue and answer the clue but Brian it's so would have tenuous. been happy about that, a trip back to see the fam. Yeah. Yeah. But and, and then but then Brian Cox is kind of like reading out from his lair. He's in like a lair. But you're not sure. <laughs> is he supposed to be like an enemy, like Blofeld? He's a bit Blofeldian, but then also he's a bit M-like as well. Is he mm. with them or is he against them? It's, it's unclear. Or is he a big brother type character? Whatever. It's, 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 it's mystifying, to be honest. And he, like, there are bits of it where <laughs> he's just 
it's clearly like they've got well, we can film all this in half a day, you know. Just read this, read that, read these clues. It's 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 just it just doesn't work on any level. It's like it, a car crash and it's it's borderline. It's just it's just kind of dull. Is the problem? It's not even it's not even the bits with Brian Cox. You like you, and and so what I would say is I can I my 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 version of when he said on whichever chat show it was in America. I thought I was getting cast as a Bond villain. You can imagine you're called to a lunch or whatever with Barbara Broccoli and Michael G. Wilson, who are the Eon Productions, the James Bond producers of for, for many many years, and you're invited to lunch with the James famously the world famous producers of the James <laughs> Bond films, and you're Brian Cox and. You'll take. They come to lunch. We've got a proposition for you. Obviously, you think you're going to be in the next James yeah, Bond film, no, but, but listen, no, no, you're in this weird mix of reality TV, listen. race across the world. I'm a celebrity, and kind of tenuously James Bond. I'm sure if that happened, right <laughs> on the way to the on the way to luncheon, right, he's probably thinking that. But surely he heard the words out of their mouth. Do you know what? So this is the second. I come to my second point. I if I must have told you this story before. I've no. told a lot of people this. Story. I, there's an actor once told me this story that he heard from an actor friend of his, so slightly secondhand, was invited for a lunch with the bulk producers and they and they kind of grilled him for like a few hours and he had no idea. And at the end of it, they pretty much said to him, do you want to be James Bond? But he didn't have, he had, he, he was completely, he didn't understand that they'd actually basically said that to him, what? even though they thought they had. What? So, he, so they, they, thought they, were, they thought they were offering, telling him he could be James Bond or offering the part and he didn't understand that they were because they were so vague about it and unclear that the communication just broke down. So, I mean, I'm just saying that might have happened. <laughs> the, the communication might have been slightly unclear. How do you offer someone the role of James Bond well, without actually offering them well, the role of James that Bond? That's a good question. I mean, maybe that this tale could be slightly apocryphal. You know, I, I, I hasten to add. But, you know, you can, these things are weird. People have, people interact, creative people and producers. You talk around things. Yeah, you talk around I things. have had meetings like that in the past. Yeah, where you've had a meeting and you're like, I don't know what mm. that meeting was about. About. I mean, we've yeah. all had those yeah. meetings. Right. That's what exactly. there for? I think that's what Brian Cox, that's for me, is what happened in the Brian Cox Eon meeting before this program was invented. <laughs> Honestly, I would not put it past them. Oh, well, hopefully Brian will have got a massive paycheck and he'll be able to. Oh, just, he's yeah. definitely got oh, a massive without a doubt, paycheck. Yeah. That's for yeah. damn sure. Yeah. But, um, and he would make a brilliant bomb villain. So, yeah, you know, maybe they could just throw that in. You know? I feel like he's already done that, though, with the succession, but yeah. Well, it's different. Bond villain is a different prospect to, mm. to to that character. But yeah, it's it's. I mean, yeah, 007 Road to Million does not work on any level whatsoever. <laughs> you but. heard it here first. You heard it here first. Kay, yes. what have you been watching? So I have been watching, uh, I watched the second season in its entirety of The Newsreader. Oh. Yes, um, which some will recall I... We discussed, didn't we? Did we review it? I can't we remember. Did. Yeah. <laughs> yes, Kay. We reviewed <laughs> it all of seven days ago. I, like a couple of weeks ago. <laughs> I know I couldn't remember if I just reviewed it. Sorry. No. Uh, God. <laughs> I forgot your valuable input. We Sorry. occasionally watch uh, things as well. Yeah. yeah. You know, Appalled. Yeah. Periodically. Anyways, I watched the whole of season two. And um, for anyone who can't recall, like me, the conversation we had about it, it's um, the Australian <laughs> drama about a news network. Uh, and it's the about the dynamics on and off screen of its newsreaders. I like this series even more than the first because it still touches upon, obviously, you know, the big news stories of the time, which in this case was. Charles and Diana coming over to Australia for a visit and the anticipation and excitement of covering that. Uh, more importantly, this time round, actually, it's um, it really delves deep into the relationship of Dale and Helen and their sort of, you know, the, they just sort of so codependent and also Dale and his sexuality and stuff like that. And also it 
touches upon Jeff, who's got this kind of perfect family man persona, and actually what's going on behind the scenes. So it's all about the, it's all about the newsreaders this time round. Um, so yeah, absolutely love that. I would recommend if you like the first season, season two even better. Um, that's all on iPlayer. And then also, okay, this is a bit old, so I wasn't sure whether to bring it up, but. I watched on Netflix from scratch and I thought it was a rom-com like a film and it's not it's actually a romantic drama I think six parts so it, uh, featuring Zoe Saldana have you seen it James? No, Nodding? I okay. have not is um, it good? From Scratch <laughs> and she plays Amy who um, has given up her law studies to go to Italy for, I think it's six weeks, although she acts as if it's like six months, um, to study art. And she's determined not to fall in love with anyone. So, you know, I'll leave it there. You can imagine what happens. But I've quite enjoyed it so far. I've only watched two episodes. Um, And that is all I've been watching this week. Okay, good stuff. Uh, You will be unsurprised, Mm -hmm. unshocked to hear that I finally managed to get my mitts on, well, by the time this goes out, everyone will have done, but I finally managed to get my mitts on the remaining episodes of The Lazarus Project Season (laughs) 2. And a good time was had by all, and by all, I mean me. So you finished it now? Oh, God, yes. Yeah. Oh. Does it live up to your I had so much fun, I can't even begin to tell he's you. smart, look at him. It's like I, he's so smiley. Yeah, yeah I, honestly, I enjoyed it so much. In fact, so much so that like it got to the point where it was way past my bedtime, and I'd just finished the penultimate episode, and I watched, and I thought, right, okay, I'll save the finale for tomorrow. And then I was walking to walking to bed, and then I sort of slowed <gasps> down. Walking to bed? And then How I big turned, a walk is this? Well, yeah, he's, the got walk, his, he's got wings. Of yeah. Yeah, yes, right? the east yeah. wing yeah. of my... Okay. Small house, uh, but uh, yeah, I didn't. Uh, I was walking, back and then I slowed down, slowed down bit by bit, and then stopped, and then started to walk backwards, and then turn around, around, around back to my sofa, jump back down, turn it back on again, and watch the final episode. What Even time though, did you go to bed? Uh, yeah, like later than I should have done, like like well into the you know past midnight hours. Oh my gosh! Um, okay. No, I mean, because I mean, you're not for, talking beyond for, two a.m. Yeah, that's for, nothing. for boy, this is the yeah, afternoon. Two a.m. For yeah. me, that's very late. Yeah, indeed. But I just I could not stop watching it. Joe's got a lot to answer for. I know it's basically Joe Barton's fault that I'm mm. looking so haggard this morning. Um, so really, really enjoyed that. But in addition to that. I absolutely mainlined over the weekend a murder at the end of the world. Uh, oh. Now, this does make me smug because not everyone can mainline it because I have all the episodes, not everyone does. But oh my God, I enjoyed that a lot. Like, again, couldn't stop watching it, obsessed with it. Mm. I really like that first episode. I would like to further distance myself from Empire's three star yes. review. <laughs> what? Yeah. Can I we, think that's so Can wacko. we do another review instead and like take place of it? I, yeah, I think it's great. I think it's really, really well constructed. Anyone who's got a comp a copy of Empire just get your red felt tip pens yeah. out and start adding some more stars, add stars. that's ridiculous add, add another star yeah and maybe a black pen red, red is only for five stars of course in Empire okay as you know but oh, yeah. Uh, yeah I subscribe you know that <laughs> as a subscriber you want to, uh, You must be thinking of the heat previews which yes. of course use red stars for the oh, previews alright alright uh, <laughs> tiptoeing very close to the line there James uh, yeah so Murder at the End of the World which is absolutely fabulous Boy, I was going to say we should record our spoiler special like immediately while it's fresh in our Minds. Yes, good point. Uh, yeah. But we have to record the morning oh, show one. God, yeah. Uh, so we'll do that. What is special? And hopefully, by the time this goes out, I think you need to we'll sound more that. excited about them. Yeah, Boyd. Oh no, I am. It's, I am very. Excited. <laughs> Believe me, I'm very excited. Like, oh yeah. But, um, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's, been a, to... it's been a lot this week. A lot of it. You've done a lot of interviews this week. But you have. Yeah. Had. Boyd has interviewed almost the entire world this week. <laughs> yeah, it's been actually, extraordinary. Actually, I feel bad that people have listened to my stupid voice, <laughs> stupid questions in a stupid way and being overly complimentary. Not overly, but just, you know. Uh, yeah, anyway. Excuse, apologies in advance yeah. for all the interviews I've done. People yeah. will lap it up. Yeah, I think they will as and well. And I didn't do Keanu Reeves. 
So no. there is that. No, that is no. no. No, yeah. No, neither did I, in fact. No. But that's only because the show he is promoting is an F1 show, and between us, we know about as much about F1. Well, as... I'm saying I know more about it than you do. All right, tell, you know, tell me, give, me, give me an F1 fact. Okay, well... Um, what is a Formula One? What is a Formula One? It's just the fastest... But why most... is it called Formula One? What's the formula? Uh, I don't actually know that, but my guess is that because it's you have to come up with the formula for the best car for creating the best, most I, I just assumed it was the secret stuff they put in the okay. engine. I, don't I know. think we need to accept neither of you know it and let's not try and... I, I think it is now abundantly answer. clear why Sophie did the interview. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. yeah, but I still... Although there was that Netflix series that was quite good. Yeah, yeah, the Netflix series was very good, yeah. Um, and I do vaguely follow it. I mean, Lewis Hamilton... What I would say is it's, it's, it's a very interesting sport from the point of view. Lewis Hamilton won the World Championship for like two or three seasons in a row right. and then stopped completely. And that's all to do with the fact that his car suddenly didn't mm. keep up with the other car of the guy now who wins it every year. Hamilton, so race. Hamilton left the no, sport? He didn't, no, no, he's still in the sport. He's he, just, he just now finishes like, was he you killed know, in a duel? tenth. What? Was he killed in a duel? No, no. Oh my God. Oh my God. <laughs> That's, that was a quality Hamilton gag. Carry on. Oh my God. Oh, tenuous. Hamilton. Oh <laughs> tenuous. God. Yeah. I'm um, the only person in the world who didn't like Hamilton. So. Yes, you are. Um, I am, literally. No, me and maybe... Um, maybe um, no, I know some people as well. Oh, okay. Mm. Larry David. Um... <laughs> Anyway, what was I saying? Oh yeah, so no, it's just it's completely down to the car. So it's a weird, it's a, the weirdest yes. thing about Formula One is you can be the best driver in the world as Lewis Hamilton assumingly was, and then suddenly he's not going to win any race because the mm. other guy. The so other it's team's just the people car. with the most money win. It, or, no, it's the it, people, who, lot of com- the, it's the people who somehow create the best car with the most money. Not, no, it's not always the, be- the most money. Sometimes it isn't. It doesn't completely correlate. Yeah, oh. I mean, so this, see, I do know more about. So, so it's, I mean, it's, it's not, not unlike football then. It's, well, Let's not even go down that road. It, it's weirder than football because it's it, the equivalent of football would be Manchester City. Actually, Manchester. Actually, look at me dropping the football. Yeah, no, they're equivalent. But actually, Chelsea is very interesting for okay. the moment because their former bot Roman Abramovich, who was the guy who turned Chelsea into a world-beating team that won the Champions League, it entirely through his limitless supply of money, and he is being investigated yeah, right I got, now. I just got a BBC alert right about now. Him. Yeah, and it's really dodgy. If you're a Chelsea, I would not want to be a Chelsea fan right now because because all of the, it's literally come. All the chickens are coming on truce. So the equivalent for me would be suddenly the owner of the of the team Eccleston that one, that one of them's in well he ran the whole sport yeah Bernie Christopher Bernie <laughs> anyway what I'm saying is it's weird that the best the best team full of all the best footballers generally does win they're probably being paid the most money and they probably cost the most money but in Formula 1 you could be paid the most and you could be the most skillful and still not have any chance of winning because your car just isn't fucking good enough compared to the other yeah, but guys' surely, car I'm, I'm going to be I'm going to change here it. a little bit mm-hmm. right because I'm like if you've got the most money surely you can employ the no, best it's, people it's, to work on the it's, cars it's, and it's design more, them it's slightly more it's I, I believe. I think you're scra- look. He's literally clutching a sh- scr- uh, straw there. Well, it's famously, been- the whole story of the of the, <laughs> of the documentary that the Carter Reeves is in is that they bought that team for one pound. That's that's the start of that story. The t- the, the season that he's that made this documentary about Jensen Keanu, Button Keanu won. Boy, Jensen pound. Button, no, but J- Jensen Button's Jensen team, Button, who is also on the podcast. He's with also Keanu on the Reeves. podcast. That the team that he was in bought that bought the team for a pound and then turned into a world championship team so you know I mean that's literally the whole point of the sh- of the series so it's not necessarily just about the money no they all they get and by the way they've all got it costs tens and t- billions of pounds all of the teams have that have huge amounts of money it's an incredible sport you have to have unbelievable levels of money injected into your team to have any kind of chance which is why the Keanu Reeves documentary to reiterate again is such a unique story in the history of Formula 1 well we'll look forward to there hearing Keanu yeah, and Jensen talk about that I on got, the podcast next week what was I even fucking talking about <laughs> I don't it's know, hard so- to say 
say. James just, no, you said Keanu and then suddenly all this came <laughs> yeah, this no, happened. I mispronounced one word and we just spin <laughs> off the rails wildly. Uh, I haven't even finished what I've been watching because the other thing I've been watching this week, as you will recall, on last week's Pilot Plus, we did our next, our second inaugural, it's not inaugural for a second, anyway, our second from the vault section where we talked mm. about Jimmy McGovern's cracker from the 90s uh, and we watched the first episode which was uh, The Mad Woman in the Attic. Mm. I couldn't stop there and immediately then flowed straight into the second set of episodes uh, and and I, I so now I'm starting that again and this is a dangerous precedent <laughs> you're, on another, like, minute, you're on an unofficial cracker rewatch basically yeah. so the problem is this happened with Banshee this now happened with Cracker so now it feels like every week now when we do a From the Vault I'm starting a rewatch that's dangerous now, do you know the weird coincidence is that which was in, in I think we're going to do with Russell Tavius like put out half of it on the main pod and in the pod and sure. the rest of it is yeah. that still the plan that we're, is still the plan producing it live yeah, on air you are. kids everyone <laughs> but Russell T. Davis but pure coincidence was contacted by Jimmy McGovern recently really? and had a long chat with him and he said you're, you're in the interview he said that never happens in his whole career he's never had a ma- another writer get in touch with him to talk about something I'll, I'll, I'll let you hear what he oh, actually wanted to talk about in the, in the pod yeah it's really interesting and I said oh we just watched the first ever Cracker it's fascinating he, he absolutely thinks he's a, uh, a great yeah obviously and I mean, he is so. undoubtedly yeah. a great great writer uh, did you watch the rest of Time have you seen the rest of uh, I did of watch time? the rest of Time because uh, for the pre Jodie Whittaker chat yeah. yeah I talk about briefly about it yeah but it is oh my god it's, it's, yeah. it's emotional indeed yeah uh, but okay so this is exciting so so Cracker uh, we did talk about in Pilot Plus uh, we've encouraged our Pilot Plus subscribers to watch it for the next episode and tell us what they think so if you are a Pilot Plus subscriber please do make sure you watch Cracker uh, and tell us what you think before we do the next recording uh, I think that's everything I've been watching but there is one other thing I want to mention mm-hmm. uh, and it is The Curse uh, so you will recall we there's another thing we did on Pilot Plus sorry to those of you who don't subscribe to Pilot Plus and are now furious with me so this is the Nathan Fielder Benny Safdie show which all three of us hated uh, and yet I feel obliged to point out it's had pretty positive reviews here as well so it feels like the three of us maybe are in the minority on the curse so I wanted to mention for the record <laughs> oh. that a lot of people including a couple of people in the Empire office were big fans of oh, the yeah, curse oh yeah I spoke to Beth about it this morning Beth formerly yeah. of this parish yeah um, yeah she really liked she's it. a big Nathan Fielder fan yeah she did really really like it Yeah, I mean yeah. fair enough and I Alex can, can, Alex liked it as well I can see I can see which why. one was the curse the one that we all hated where, where know, with, with the, the awful property the fo- developers the Emma Stone yeah Oh my the gosh! Penis. Yes, penis shot. Yes, the penis Wait. one, the one with the penises. Beth liked that. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. What? She really liked it. Yeah. yeah. Beth, I'm going to need to talk to her about that. Yeah, Beth yeah. Webb, formerly of this parish, yeah. is a big fan of the curse. Yeah, bored. So. Yeah. Oh, I thought it was... Well, we thought it yes. was yeah, 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 terrible. All three of us did not enjoy it. Yeah, that is an interesting point. In the interest of fairness and balance, which of mm. course, as you all know, I am synonymous with, uh, I thought it yeah. uh, it fair to mention that. Also at this point, we can mention whether or not I should talk about Doctor Who because we were supposed to have been sent um, screeners and they didn't arrive. They didn't, that's this. true. Are we gonna, but we uh, are going to be reviewing the Doctor okay. Who special in Pilot Plus this week. Okay, so week. I don't need... But all I was saying... Cause it's, oh, so you've seen it? This, yeah, I've, I went to the, the screening of it. Oh, yeah, right. but I was getting... Yeah, oh, that just, Kay and I weren't invited. That had a big screening at Battersea. I think I mentioned it... Uh, maybe, yeah. or maybe I didn't because we had to keep even that secret. That, you that, couldn't even tell us. Your closest colleagues. Yeah, yeah. It was in Battersea Power Station um, screening room. Have you been to that place yet? It's really good. No, I've been, I've been to Battersea Power Station, but I've not been to the, the screening room. It's a really nice screening room and um, and and a great location. And they had the whole, I think, and they had the whole lavish um, kind of monsters from the episode. Oh, thing. nice. Anyway, I w- I would just say that it's a re- it's just fantastic to have to have David Tennant and Catherine Tate back in those roles. It's absolutely lives up to everything you want from particularly from their relationship. Um, their interaction, how they bounce off each other. Okay. And um, yeah, it's massive, massive fun. And I won't say anything else to spoil it. So yeah. Well, I shall like look a, forward to watching yeah. that when I'm allowed to. Yeah. 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 Good yeah. stuff. 
There you go. Right, that's everything we've been watching. Let's have a guest. In fact, let's have two. Uh, Jason Isaacs, as you will probably already know, turns into Cary Grant this week in Archie, and this is a four-part drama depicting the life of obviously one of Hollywood's greatest leading men. And Laura Aikman joins him as Diane Cannon, who was natural in her own right, who got pulled into Grant's orbit. Uh, Boydie, as part of his marathon (laughs) interview gauntlet, sat down with both Jason and Laura early this week, and this is how it went. Um, hello to Jason Isaacs and hello to Laura Aikman. Welcome to the Pilots TV podcast. How are you both doing? Good. We live about 100 yards away from each other. It's weird that we're oh. <laughs> we could be sitting <laughs> yeah, we do. having a cup of tea. Yeah. <laughs> that is weird. Grand, thank you. I'm very intimidated by Laura's backdrop. Yes. Clearly there's a writer at work who's got multiple structured acts there. I'm surrounded by record cards uh, on the walls. It's very yeah. bad decor, but apparently impressive. No, no, it's, it's quite intimidating. <laughs> what are you working on, Laura? Can you say? Is that, is that, or is that uh, a secret? Well, I'm writing something with Joe Wilkinson, and um, Matt is pitching, a, my partner who's a writer, uh, is pitching a film and a TV series at the moment. So there's plots everywhere. Okay. I'm so okay. impressed if I can make my bed. yes fair enough we both we were all at this event last week this extraordinary event where uh, at the archie screening where the actual dying cannon was there his his one of his actual dying dying cannon cannon. and his daughter jennifer grant um with it was there what was that like for you i mean that i mean obviously you've been in lots of all kinds of different projects both of you but but laura for you to be there with the person you're actually playing in the audience and the whole thing that's just weird isn't it was that a kind of extraordinary unique uh, experience it was i mean I've had a relationship with Diane for over a year now. So it was, um, but it was, the first, it was the first time I'd met her in person was literally walking into the screening. So that was quite emotional, to be honest. Um, but then I, at least I knew it wasn't her first time seeing it because she's an exec on it. So I didn't have the kind of pressure of like, oh God, what if she hates it? Like she's already given her notes. Um, but it was, it was sort of magical and they've both been so supportive and kind to me, to both of us. How did you find it, Jason? It's incredibly weird. Of course, incredibly weird. Um, what else could it be? Um, she was phenomenally complimentary afterwards when I mean, she had seen it before, but, uh, but I don't know what's really going on inside both of their heads. They have very different reactions. So, you know, Cary Grant's fourth of five wives was there, and, and a lot of our stories based around her autobiography. Jennifer has a completely different picture of her dad because he was just her dad, not her sometime charming husband and other, you know, controlling, suffocating husband. And uh, so she, I think, found it more tr- difficult to watch than we did, although she's seen uh, all the rushes because it's a portrait of many sides of her father that she's, you know, she never saw. Um, but for us, yeah, I don't know. It was, it was... And for Diane, some of the most painful moments in her life. I mean, yeah, they, yeah. to be fair, they're in episode three more than the ones that we had to watch with everyone. But it must feel incredibly personal. Really, for me, sitting there watching, I had to do the same thing I did when we were filming, which is just put out of my mind because our jobs as actors, Laura and I and anyone else who does it, is to try and place yourself in other people's heads. Just be, and if for a split second, I uh, spent any time thinking what must be, what would it be like to be Jennifer right now? What would it be like to be Diane right now? It's just it's overwhelming. So yeah, I or just... start thinking about what will anyone think when they say it. Let alone well, there's that. I mean, obviously, yeah, yeah. can't think about <laughs> that. <laughs> but it's, she has been incredibly complimentary. I mean, like, Diane, about you, your performance, Laura, um, uh, and. She adores you, Jason. That's clear. <laughs> That's clear from from everything. I but- think what happens. She there was a you know when Jeff. Pope, who, who's a brilliant writer, has taken real life events and made them into a drama so often. 
and he's so prolific. When he first approached him, it, it took him almost a decade to woo both of them into let them uh, let it happen. I'm sure there was some part of Jennifer that thought, well, what happens if this is just an attack on my dad? I don't want it. But also for Diane, she didn't want, you know, she wrote a book which is very, very critical. It was a very difficult relationship, and he was ex- he was impossible uh, and and cruel in many ways. And first of all, it was difficult for her to say that, uh, publish that, and have a relationship with her daughter who adores him. But secondly, she didn't want anything on screen to be one or two dimensional. So I think she was enormously relieved that we told a complicated story about complicated people. That was what she wanted more than anything. Yeah, totally. Yeah. What was the what was the most difficult? What was the biggest challenge for you, Jason, in, in playing Archie slash Cary Grant? Oh, just that I knew everybody in the world who, who worships Cary Grant is going to come with their knives out and go, whatever he is, he's no Cary Grant. I mean, there's yeah. all the technical stuff. There's walking and talking and, you know, I mean, it's not a challenge acting with Laura. She's so fantastic. You just, you do all the research for all, you know, what you're going to do on the screen, what the technical stuff, but then you just get on the dance floor with someone like Laura and it's, it's just, actually, it's easy, embarrassed to say, because it's just, she's so alive in the scenes. But knowing that there are a billion people, uh, whatever we do, who's going to go in your dreams, mate, uh, you know, I had to get, I had to shrug that off before we started, but that was the most difficult thing was taking the job. Thanks, Jason. Very nice what you just said. <laughs> and Laura, for you, explain Diane. The most difficult thing, I think, um, just like, yeah, just like living up to who she is really, like um, injecting her with all of that fun and charisma and life and youth. And then marrying that with the the pain that she goes through later. I think you sort of see her disappear from herself as the relationship goes on. So I really wanted to make her feel so full of life at the beginning um, so that, you know, you could you could see that difference, I suppose. And then, yeah, of course, it was it was even just doing it with Jason was quite daunting. <laughs> um, For about two then, seconds till you met me, obviously. Then, well, yeah, and then he's very disarming, and you know, like it was it was very easy to um, to just take it scene by scene and be there together. And Paul, we had the most amazing director, Paul Andrew Williams, who yeah just just made everything fun and not intimidating and we were all so free like crazily free and creative like let's do this let's do a subtext run like you do when you were students or you know what let's swap the actors out let's have the young uh person playing your mother in or let's have the the older you know old Cary Grant play with the children just kind of mess with the timelines mess with the format do on super eight suddenly break into dance just going to make it felt very free to the point where I trusted Paul so much that he there's a sequence in the third episode where he was just shouting things out and I was doing them. Oh yeah, yeah. <laughs> like, yeah. Uh, yeah, we probably trusted him too much by the end, <laughs> which, but which I absolutely that? loved that. Which one was that? Uh, when drop, he's drop the asset, right? Ah, yeah. yes, yes. <laughs> Lick the wall, okay. Because <laughs> <laughs> I, I think the way it dealt, I mean, it's interesting. So you were, you were saying, Jason, about that all the different. It's like a mosaic. It's not. It's not. Thankfully, it's not a linear. No, no. I mean, it wasn't in the script, but then the fact that, well, it wasn't particularly linear in the script either. It jumped around timelines, but then the fact that he had a stroke when he's on stage and when he was about to go on stage gave the production, whether it's Paul and Jeff or everyone else, license to have this man as a framing device looking back on his life. But is he having a stroke? Is it really happening? Are we watching an actual evening where he'd had a microphone and audience or are we watching the kind of fever dreams of the man whose who's brain is in spasm and about to die? Um, you know, so you never quite answer those questions, which is why the all the, the eras blend into each other. 
So it's interesting, Laura, to see when you to see if the finished article, the finished one, must be quite quite interesting because it is such a mosaic. It's all been put together. The editing is key. All the different, the way that the, the different scenes bounce off each other, etc. Yeah, and even our timeline is slightly different to the way it was scripted. Um, a couple of things are sort of moved around, and you have to try and sort of just delete what you had in your head before and watch it as a fresh piece, which is, of course, impossible. Um, but I suppose when you were saying before about what was the scariest thing, that was the other thing that made us feel safe. I think that, that Jeff has a good relationship. You know, he's always so respectful of the people that he's writing about and has relationships with them. You kind of know that everyone's trying to honour everyone to the best of their ability. So, yeah, that sort of took the edge off. I, once I, for me, once I got over the, terror of you sh- no one should take this job you'd be an idiot uh then having spoken to diane a lot who was incredibly brave and trusted both of us with a lot of stuff that you know some of which can't end up in the story uh but it's in our heads and our hearts our audiences will be able to read it i'm sure um it was not to soft soap it because jennifer was involved and because jeff was a fan like this was a this was a really badly disturbed individual who could be charming he was some part of him could be Cary Grant but Cary Grant was a utter creation of his he was uh, you know he was neurotic and uh, anxious he was uh, alcoholic he had bad liver problems he was controlling he was born in 1904 it's a different era but he also uh, he, he, he uh he was starving and broken and abandoned and unloved when he was a child and those wounds not only didn't heal, they got the more he sought love from the whole world, the wider those wounds got. Ironically, when he when he finally gave up the thing he thought he wanted, which was everybody else's adulation and affection, and started giving love to his child, is when they began to heal. But he was a really damaged person, and I, so my biggest fear while we're doing it was making it a bit too nice. Was making sure that you saw that the sharp edges inside him. And it's such a rare opportunity to get to play someone over even you you much more than me, Jason, over such a time span and not at a pocket in their life when an event happens. So yeah, you yeah. really do get to fill out all of the sides of him and you see the charming side and then you see him at home and the at home side is just so different. Yeah, the lon- the loneliness and the kind of, the, I don't know how, what fans of Cary Brandt uh, will think if they haven't read the biographies, don't realise this about him, but it was just... He was the polar opposite of the creature that is known in the movies, and uh, I hope they get that because, uh, because not because this is a message thing. It was you know it's an interesting story to tell. I hope it holds your attention. But today there are a billion creatures that come through our telephones that can make us feel less than them that they've got perfect lives. You know, then there weren't that many stars who destroyed the whole world, but now there's so many people who look through social media or other uh, platforms like they've got everything sorted out, and uh, it's it's a great lesson that nobody does. Yeah, that that whole I, I think that feels very modern. That whole idea of him creating a persona for himself. I mean, if he'd have had Instagram, you know, you would have you, you would have seen, you know, would have looked, been fantastic for him, but you would never seen the other side of him, and that really, I think that that really comes out in the in the show. There's so many there's so many elements to it, aren't there, Laura? I think because I agree. If you once you read Diane Cannon's book, the the level of control that you try to have over Diane is is scary, was scary, really. Yeah, and the thing that he falls in love with her for is that she's this. She rejects him. She's kind of untamable. She, like, there's a line in the book where he. He says sort of something about how wild she is. And she says, you'd never try and tame me, would you? And he says, no. And then ultimately, of course, that's exactly what he does. He wants to control every element of her wardrobe, her hair, what she does, her career, how she talks, how she writes. It's like he really just makes her smaller and smaller and smaller. 
And she was just so in love with him. She tried so hard to sort of figure out how to make it work and get back to herself. And, you know, in the end, they just couldn't do it. Well, so, so I, I was trying to work out how what makes someone like that seem to me it's a bit pop psychology, but I, it fit for me at least while I was doing it, which is that if you can control every single aspect of everything in your life, maybe chaos, which is what terrifies you and defined your early life, won't make another entry. Maybe maybe the carnage and chaos uh, and anarchy uh, of the, defined his first twenty years almost uh, can be kept outside the door. That that's what controlling everything is about, in a way. Hmm. Absolutely, yeah. Do you think it's interesting, isn't it, that he didn't he didn't work much at all in the last, you know, in the later years? And was that? Do you think that was? I don't want to contradict you because it's your podcast, Lloyd, <laughs> and I'm a huge fan. I mean, as, as but an, actually, it, he worked all the time, and he found the thing that he was good at that he probably should always have done. People think it was a vanity thing that he was, you know, so one of the biographies said he became an ambassador for Fabergé and MGM. No, he didn't. He worked. I've read the minutes of the board meetings. I've read other people's recollections and memos of board meetings. He not only worked, but he was a fantastic businessman. And Jennifer told us uh, that when she was a kid, he used to take her all the time to Hollywood Racetrack, where he was a, a, a an investor, not because he cared about the races, but to talk. What he cared about was how much was the taco stand taken. What time did they open? What did the you know what were they getting on the door? Uh, how much did they lose in the rain? He was a businessman and very good at it. He was actually a brilliant businessman as an actor and producer as well. And so he sued the studios all the time because they hid money from him. So uh, sorry, I contradict you. No, no, he no, did no, work, but he did work that he was actually no, yeah, he, he did, did work that he was suited for. Right, actually, right. oddly. So why do you think he didn't make any movies? Because I think I suspect partly it's because Hollywood was changing, wasn't it? And his kind of film. And his kind of like it became much more kind of edgy and and different. Yeah. Do you think that was and he was aging it? as well. Oh uh, yeah, Laura's got it. I, I mean, <laughs> Jeff started this whole process, I think, by reading Jennifer's book at an airport and being very taken by this notion that this huge star decided to you know step off the pedestal, look after his daughter. But for me, that's not what happened at all. I think he could no longer be the handsome, suave lady killer because the women were getting younger and he was getting older. He'd done two films back to back in which he wasn't that anymore, although one of them made money. It was very uncomfortable for him because he'd spent a long time curating and shaping this screen persona that did the same thing all the time. And he didn't know if he could do it anymore. He didn't know what to do. So it was very convenient that it was time to stop working. And then he found that he did love being a dad. Actually, the act of giving love was the thing that he should have done all the time. He was looking for love forever and not finding what he needed because it was insatiable. And it was in the act of being a father, he discovered what he needed, but it wasn't a choice initially at all. It was like Laura said, he was aging out of the center of the circle. And he didn't like it. And he didn't want to be seen with a much younger woman on screen, which ends up in a huge fight between Diane and him because she's like, I'm younger than Audrey Hepburn. He didn't want to do this movie with Audrey Hepburn. Well, they weren't letting women his age play leading ladies for sure. Yeah, and he wouldn't <laughs> so, want the opposite of them. Yeah. So I think, well, I mean, you know, also he was a great dad after that. But No, he was a great dad and he loved being a dad. Um, but I don't think he went, oh, what I need now, I could keep working and it would be great and I'm wonderful, but actually I'm going to devote myself to a child. I think it, he used the metaphor all the time of a streetcar, I think he'd call it, you know, uh, like a carriage where the big stars had seats and when you were starting, your face was pressed against the window and then you got on and you were crammed and you made your way towards the seat and then you got a seat and you needed to know when to get off. 
And I think he knew it was his time to get off. There's so many elements of his of his life and of his story that are dealt with. I mean, it packs so much into these four episodes. It's extraordinary. Like touching, it, it does, and it, and it doesn't miss anything key out. Like I think the way it touched on rumors about sexuality, etc., was fascinating. I thought it did it with a great lightness of touch. But it's important to have that in there because I, I think the way he says at one point in the last episode, I think there are rumors for years that I'm gay. Uh, you, you know, I would completely embrace being gay. Be be very proud of it. So that's, I thought that was a really interesting element of the story. Yeah, he was never disparaging of the gay community, or and I don't. Did he ever deny it, Jason? Well, I don't want to talk all the time because Laura's here. But you know, uh, this was a huge deal to me when I first read the script because I have a very good friend who had just died. Who was a massive Cary Grant fan. Who was a costume designer in New York. Who was gay, and I he knew I had been offered the part. Um, and I, I couldn't have done it if that we didn't acknowledge that he had gay relationships. The problem is, Cary Grant never acknowledged publicly that he did. In fact, he sued someone. And Diane said the same thing that Betsy Drake said. He wasn't gay when he was fucking me. So uh, it was tricky. But I knew that he, you know, as much as you can know anything uh, without him standing here telling me that he was and had a long relationship with Randy Scott and, and various other men when he was younger. And he said he was long-time gay assistant. Uh, well, I was gay when I was younger. I'm straight now. I wanted a family. Um, I think he he had no problem with any of it. He just was very careful to curate the brand, Cary Grant, on screen. He wasn't going to get it sullied, but he was very to- um, tolerant, not the right word. He just, you know, uh, unprejudiced in his private life. Um, but he never told Diane he was gay. He never told Jennifer that he'd been gay. Um, but he was also a man born in 1904, and he, he didn't tell them anything, really, much about anything. Yeah, and so I mean, it's I, obviously possible that he was bisexual. No, I, that's what I mean. He wasn't gay. Yeah. He slept with a lot of men. I think when he was younger, you know, we have a sequence of him being a gigolo in the, uh, in the series, and I think he was probably available to anybody for, you know, he was desperate and starving. It was one of the key things about him that he said you couldn't convey on screen is hunger. You know, and I said to Jeff, we've got to have it in there. He goes, well, the thing is, we don't know it to be the facts. We know everybody says it. So I, you're right. I think we deal with it really elegantly in that scene, Laura and I, uh, at, at dinner. Uh, but if we hadn't acknowledged it, I, I, I couldn't have done it, I don't think. Well, I know I know, I wouldn't have done it. Oh, that's really interesting. Yeah. Yeah. Because I think, you know, there's no, it's interesting. And Jeff that- was fine with that too. And by right. the way, Diane and Jennifer were fine with it too. Right. Interesting. That's interesting. Yeah. Yeah. They seem fine, fine with, with the, 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 um, of the press launch. Yeah. And talking about it. There's like, there's, and also no need to label it. You know, he may have had, you know, he may have slept with lots of men when he was younger. I mean, but- definitely, as much as you can know anything, because we haven't got CCTV from the 30s, you know, <laughs> yes. uh, definitely had relationships with men. Uh, we don't really deal with that period. So we don't deal with his other wives either. It's not like we avoid it in any way, because we only see the relationship with Diane. I mean, he had four other wives, you know, and three before, uh, which were huge big deals, but we, we skip in a kind of collider, you know, uh, an LSD kaleidoscopically way through pivotal moments in his life. We don't deal with his other relationships, um, but it's definitely there to be, you know, it, there's no ambiguity in what we're, the story we're telling. No, well, Diane. When you're in a show like this, do you become obsessed with? with She's the, Laura. The, oh, Diane's oh my the God, character. Diane. See, but how good yeah. is she? Eh? I mean, <laughs> sorry, that, that's how you know. That's how convincing you are. Thanks. When, so much. <laughs> when you're in a project like this, do you get obsessed? Become obsessed with these people you're playing? You know, do you become obsessed with Diane Cannon and Cary Grant? I was like. Yeah, I mean, until before I got the part, I was just watching and watching and listening. And I heard on a podcast that she'd said that Jeff had optioned the book. So I managed to get the book, which I don't think you can even, you have to like ship it over from the States or whatever. And I just watched, I must have watched, there's one interview of her on Carson that I must have watched well over a hundred times. And then when I eventually, you know, they give her 
gave me her email and her phone number and all of that stuff. And I, I she is on a pedestal for me. I absolutely adore her. Um, and yeah, it's sad that it's sort of coming to an end now, really. Um, I mean, I'm, you know, we'll still be friends and stuff, but yeah, I mean, we got completely obsessed with them and it was great actually, because starting a job with Jason, we were like right in the deep end when we met and we both had these two people who we were obsessed with and could talk about at length. So it was a nice sort of shortcut into us getting to know each other and bonding as well. Cause you know, I think this, I think this, what do you think about this? It was very, um, we both had long talks with Diane who yeah. was in, I mean, they might've been embarrassing than anyone else. Cause I was really graphic asking about their sex life and you know, yes, every, every detail. Jason told me he asked her, I was shocked. <laughs> I wanted to James, know. You're fearless, though. I mean, you know. Well, I mean, I want to know. I'm playing that, yeah. you know, we have sex in, on the screen, and I wanted to know about their sex life. I wanted to know about what they argued, when they laughed, what they watched, what they talked about. You know, I wanted to know everything. And she was completely candid and unembarrassed. I was the embarrassed one. She's she's uh, an extraordinary woman, Diane. And, to, you know, she she's lived through a lot of eras, and she she's continually evolving and challenging herself. And she held absolutely nothing back. And it made me, like you, Laura, it made me feel a responsibility to try and tell the full rounded story of how awful the marriage was uh, in many ways and, and and yet get inside Cary Grant to make sure that you could see he couldn't control himself. There's a reason he took acid hundreds of times with people. And also that's just one of the many methods he tried to quell this kind of storm inside his head because he knew that he destroyed his, li his life and his relationships, his peace. Uh, and and he, he wanted to find some kind of ease. Um, uh, but I, you know, the picture she paints is of a very turbulent time. Well, I think people who watch the show are going to be obsessed with Cary Grant and, and Diane Cannon all over again. I'm, I'm sorry, I've been watching Cary Grant films ever since. Uh, <laughs> since it happened, what are your favourites? Well, well, I mean, Notorious three. is just a masterpiece. I mean, the Hitchcock ones are my favourites. North by so Northwest. That's, it brings up an interesting thing. So he was well known for being a light comedian. He'd been yeah. in Vaudeville, been a stilt walker, been a carnival barker, kind of end of pier slapstick acrobat. Uh, and you can see in the early films, he's always, always trying to get a backflip in and stuff. But Hitchcock knew him personally and went, no, no, no. There's a really dark side to this guy. There's a really fucked up side to this guy. Let, let me, not just he'll be able to play it. I know him and I think I can put that on screen, which tells you something about who Archie Leach was and his relationship with women. Look at the relationships with women that Hitchcock put on the screen. Uh, so he knew how badly his marriages were going. People Sorry. have been asking both of us, um, what's your favourite Cary Grant film a lot? And they asked Diane a lot when she was with me. And every time Diane has been asked, she said, the movies we made at home. Oh, that's a great answer. That's yeah. a brilliant answer. <laughs> thank you. Well, I think I have run out of time. So thank you so much. Brilliant to speak to you. Jason, before I go, I have to ask you, have you watched A Murder at the End of the World from the brilliant people who made of one of your greatest shows? I read shows, it. I read it as well. Ah. They're, they're two of my dear, dear friends, and I think they're so immensely talented. And... Uh, you know, I was, uh, I, I, I couldn't believe, I could, what I'm saying, couldn't believe is the wrong word. It doesn't surprise me in any way that once again, they push the edge of every envelope. They're utterly brilliant. Yeah, yeah. they really have. Yeah. Laura, are you a fan? I was such a fan of the OAs. I didn't know this thing was out. I heard you talk about it on the podcast. Came yesterday. Yeah. Off I go. Thank you so much, Laura. Laura and Jason. Thank you. Cheers, Cheers. mate. Lovely to see you. 
That was Jason Isaacs and Laura Aikman. Time now for this week's listener question, which I shared in advance, but the question is, did either Boyd or Kay look at it? Let's find out, listeners. Uh, <laughs> I did. Besmirching our good names. <laughs> yeah. Oh, because we didn't reply. You did not Confirm reply. Well, that's, I mean, we get that from someone else in the group, group chat. I mean, I don't know. Sometimes what, I don't know. days go by <laughs> I don't without... know what you're referring to. Are you referring to me? No, him. <laughs> <laughs> like, question, you can ask a question. Literally, he's like, oh, that, you know, I'm oh. The Four royal hours him. later. You're still, you're still sore because you asked me to take that picture down and I didn't see it for ages. Oh, that was horrific. <laughs> oh my God, yeah. Let's not oh, bring yeah, it up. I, was, I wasn't even thinking about yeah. that. I was thinking more of the time that we were waiting for you to record of, at 11 o'clock and we were like, where are you? And yeah. then 40 minutes later, reminded like, of pic- here. of picture game. Hey, yeah. in my defence, I have no defence. Yeah. So. Fine. Moving on. <laughs> anyway, anyway, this one comes from Matthew. And Matthew says, Hey guys, love the pods. Both of them, very happy to part with money as you all massively cheer up my Mondays and oh. Thursdays. Oh, oh a hero. Thanks, Matthew. Heroic. What a hero. Uh, James, as you sounded actually quite unwell on the latest part. In the head. Mm. Yeah. <laughs> Possibly. Uh, and well done for carrying on. I'm sure the Banshee chat kept you going in the end. I was wondering who has the best, most iconic and recognisable voice from television, both past and present. My picks would be Kelsey Grammer and more recently, Brian Cox. Mm. Over to you. Uh, okay. Um, I've got a few. Um, first of all, the, the first thing that came to mind is I think the most unique voice in um, kind of British comedy oh. history, but it's not really just TV. But he was on TV a lot. It's Kenneth Williams. Yeah, well, mm, Kenneth yeah. Williams. Yeah, that knees. Exactly. And he was on TV a lot. To be fair, he did like loads of. I, I, I rewatched not too long ago an audience with Kenneth Williams. He did, he did a few of those. Do you remember the audience with format yeah, well, on ITV? Vaguely. I love Kenneth Williams. He's an absolute fucking legend. And he tells. He's the most amazing raconteur and teller of stories, anecdotalist. Um, so, but yeah, he had the he had he has the most extraordinary voice in in TV history. So in history, as I'm concerned. But other ones, I was thinking Carolina Hearn and Craig Cash in the Royal Family. Carolina Hearn in particular, Denise <laughs> talks like that, and, and he's got kind of oh, all right, Denise. Just the the whole way they interact has mm. a brilliant kind of naturalism to it. And and you and and she basically took her own voice. She did it in her own voice, but she kind of slut, subtly changed it a bit to make it slightly different and funnier and just fantastic um, Basil Fawlty yeah Good John shout. Cleese uh, and I would say together with Prunella Scales as Sybil Prunella Scales is going Basil 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 <laughs> just um, it, also in comedy obviously obviously David Brent particularly when he says stuff like Milligan <laughs> Cleese Everett Sessions <laughs> and stuff like that Like, but David Brent legendary voice then I'd go in America I'd go George Costanza from Seinfeld obviously back to my I always answer Seinfeld a version of Seinfeld but George Costanza has an incredibly unique kind of whiny delivery of he's always basically always whining about something or other and I'd add Larry David of course he's, he's got a very kind of really weirdly um, unusual voice just again kind of quite a bit like complaining and a bit I don't know like irascible which is actually in the tone of what he's saying. Um, and I would say pretty much the whole cast of Friends, they all have very memorable... Well, Perry particularly, in particular, particularly, because he had that very sort of specific yeah, intonation that he Right, used. and I've literally written on my notes, especially Matthew Perry. There mm. you go. Could he be any more distinctive? Yeah, yeah, yeah. There you go. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. I thought you would have chosen my two. Oh. Um, two? Hang on yes, a minute. Yeah, wow. What is going so on? Right, She's well, doubled her output. Well, good question. It must be if you've, if you've got two. <laughs> two whole answers. Right. Well, I thought for a man yourself. and a woman. Pace yourself. <laughs> okay. So, David Attenborough, obviously. Oh, yeah. But you love David Attenborough as much as anyone. I, I don't, yeah. 
No, but as in like that's such an iconic yeah. voice. Yeah. Like, yeah, I mean, yeah, I don't yeah. know no, how you didn't choose it. Oh. David Attenborough just... in his natural habitat. <laughs> the great thing about this question is it's getting, we're getting loads of impressions from James, <laughs> which is you know a bonus really. <laughs> and then the second one, Kay is about to give us <laughs> her <laughs> second answer. I'm regretting saying it as she um, moves towards the microphone. <laughs> The crush of this microphone. Yeah. Um, and the other person was Joanna Lumley. Oh, yes, yeah. yes. That's also, yes, yeah. very Iconic. Yeah. yeah. I'm surprised, boy, that you didn't name Rowan Atkinson, specifically uh, yeah. for Edmund Blackadder. But also, I mean, Mr. Bean has a very distinctive voice. Yes. So I don't like that as much. I don't like Mr. <laughs> no. Bean. But as Blackadder, and I think it comes down to his very cut glass diction mm. when he was, hello, Bob. You yeah. know, he's very like, yeah. love it. Absolutely Baldrick. love it. Baldrick. Yeah, Baldrick, yeah. 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 No, good, yeah, good shout. Yeah. yeah, that is good call. Yeah. Yes, I think he's fabulous. Uh, who else have we got? You didn't mention David Hyde Pierce. No, I didn't. I should, yeah, yeah. And Frazier, because the original, this guy sent the question mentioned Frazier. He did, yeah. yes. Yeah, so yes. fair enough, yeah. Um, Matthew. Who, Math- oh, Matthew, well, well, yeah, well, 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 Very good. Uh, Stephen Fry in anything. Oh, yeah. 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 It is. Uh, it is. I mean, to be to be patronised by Stephen Fry must be one of life's great pleasures. Yes. So I would. I would very much enjoy that. Uh, Sir Ian McKellen. They say they want to cure us. I say we are the cure. Oh my! God. There you go. That's why. Uh, <laughs> that's X Men Three. What is happening? What? It's like being in the studio with Mike Yarwood. That's, exactly. that's an up to date reference. <laughs> If what you want is shit impressions, yeah. I am your man. Yeah. Uh, to that end, to that end, mm. I would say Chris Barry, uh, who is fantastic as Arnold Rimmer on Red Dwarf. Red Dwarf, but yeah. While Lister, obviously being Liverpudlian, has a very distinctive uh, voice. The thing that Chris Barry is so good at, because as a former spitting image voice artist, mm. he could do everyone on the cast. And we had the cast of Red Dwarf in for a spoiler special Empire. Uh, podcast and I remember at one point I did my Crichton impression uh, and I did it to Chris Barry which is to be honest I was really really fucking you know that's crazy I mean it was a bold move Chris was like that was a very bold move I did my my, I've never seen one before no one has but I'm guessing it's a white hole this might be this might be the nerdiest (laughs) moment in the history of life. What did himself. he say? What did he say? Well, so he, it was basically, you probably had a small unzipping sound just before he did it, but he then proceeded what, to... Trousers? Well, I'm just saying it was a dick measuring competition, but oh, he... he oh not God. literally. <laughs> it was a metaphor, Kay. It was a metaphor. Calm down. This isn't the curse. Oh, uh, no, he, he proceeded <laughs> to then do cuts. impressions of Crichton and Lister uh, and the cat and Holly. And I was like, all right, calm down. Yes, I, I realise I'm out of my depth. No, no. Did he do his voice of, uh, of Britas? No, he didn't Britas go for Britas. Which is, which is, as everyone knows, funnier than yes. Red Dwarf. <gasps> How dare you? Yeah. Yeah. Brit- hang on. Yeah, hang yeah. on. Are you, with a straight face, yes. trying to tell me that the Britas Empire yeah. is superior to Red Dwarf? It's funnier. Yeah, it's funnier. Get Red, out. Get out. I've said before I've never laughed once at Red Dwarf oh ever. my god I did not find it funny I sense a from the vault in your future we, we did this before I think we did this very early on I, did we, we I made you watch a Red, Red Dwarf. Dwarf yeah I, 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 I'm fine I don't mind it it's fine I find I do not find it funny wow and, ne- and I've watched loads of episodes desperate to find it what is it, I love it I've never found it funny in the I, I think love it's it. nice it's lovely have you been watching the wrong seasons because there are a lot of bad seasons of Red Dwarf right I mean I mean I've watched intermittently from the start on and off but just two three four five all that stuff is gold just tried like one or two episodes I've probably only ever watched you know maximum of ten I don't know but of each diff- or lots of different times okay. I've all- but I- 
What is, it's not funny. It's wonderful, Poidy. I don't know it's, what you're talking about. Uh, no, no, no. I, right. I might admit that it's wonderful. Yeah. I, but it's not funny. Oh, is I it? found it funny. Do you? Yeah. Really? It yeah. may, you look, really makes you. Well, see, it's difficult it's to say now because I, I have that seen kind of them humor. I think it's so many times okay. that I don't laugh. And also, very few things make me laugh, to be fair. It's like a chuckle show. It's, you know, there's loads of shows like that where you go, oh, and I've nothing against them. But well, you'll you're, you're say to yourself, hmm, that's yeah, funny. Yeah, but yeah, you won't actually, like, pitch yourself. But then what actually. I don't know what well, actually I, would make well, me laugh. Towers, from a TV the Office. Show. I'm talking the clan. Yeah. It's ranked sometimes by, let's face it, sci-fi nerds <laughs> up there, like you, in classic comedy. But it's like it sticks out to me often in these discussions of just being, yeah. But all of those shows that are really brilliantly funny, but Red Dwarf just isn't. I disagree. Sorry, I think and you're I'm going to get an Maybe you just need I'm to sure. have a fight. After yes. This. Right. Boys from the Dwarf, everyone who disagrees uh, with Boyd and in fact is very partial to the small rouge one, please do write in and uh, and tell him that he's wrong. Yeah. That would be great. Yeah. Uh, have we got any other voices? Uh, technically, James Earl Jones did a TV show in the 90s called Gabriel's Fire and therefore I am allowed to say that James Earl Jones, who has one of the greatest voices in history, has a great TV voice. I don't even know what his voice sounds like. It's Darth Vader, Kat. Yeah, it's the voice of Darth Vader. Oh, right. <laughs> that's, the main, that's the main point. Uh, and I'm sure there are many others. I would say, since we haven't had a great many sort of uh, women on the list, Judy Dench has absolutely oh, yeah. iconic tones. <gasps> Maggie Smith has an DJ iconic voice. I can't believe I didn't think of her. Uh, yeah, absolutely. There's a brilliant, have you seen the clip from the documentary with Maggie Smith and Judy Dench? And Maggie Smith says to Judy Dench, it's online, someone put it online recently, um, Google it, and, and Maggie Smith goes, you, you've taken all our roles, darling. And, <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and, yeah. And Judy says, oh, no, no, don't blame me. Are you turning on me? She says, are you turning on me? And it's amazing... Maggie, Judy moment. That's yeah. brilliant. But yeah, both their voices are fantastic. Uh, I picked Caroline Hurley, remind you. And, and Kay picked... And Joe Lum. Joe Lum. Yeah. So we had a few women. Of course, the correct answer, because FUBAR is a thing, is Arnold Schwarzenegger. So, there we oh, go. Oh, God. Your obsession with Arnold yeah. needs to stop. Yeah. Get your ass to Mars. Oh, no. Wow. It's been a roller coaster. <laughs> I need your clothes, your boots, and your motorcycle. No? No. All right, anyway, that was our listener question. We hope that... I don't know, did it entertain? Probably not. But if you would like your question addressed on this podcast or indeed on Pilot Plus, do send them in to me at James C. Dyer on Instagram via DM or or you can send it into at Pilot TV Pod as well on Twitter or Instagram. Assuming people can DM on Twitter, which I'm not even sure you can now unless you pay for that stupid blue tick. So who knows? Find a way to get in touch. Smoke signals, semaphore, whatever's Write your jam. Write a letter. I'd quite like to Write receive a letter. A letter yeah. No, because we, we only get letters from Her Majesty's Pleasure. What? So when we get letters into the office for Empire, they are almost always from people in prison. Mm. This is absolutely okay. true. This is an absolutely true fact. You get a lot of letters from prison. A surprising number of our subscribers appear to be doing wow. time, yes. Uh, but those are the only people who send physical letters. I assume they're not allowed email, so... Yeah, of you know, course. They're not on Twitter. Yeah. Anyway, anyway, that's a weird, slightly, slightly darker down, side, yeah. but uh, let's move on from that and let's go straight into the news section. Uh, and in... What I'm going to say is quite unsurprising news, given that uh, Interview the Vampire made its way to the B. But spin-off show and part of the immortal universe, The Lives of the Mayfair Witches, has also been picked up by the Beeb and will presumably be landing very soon. So we will get to see Rowan Mayfair and Lasher the Ghost and all the other good stuff from that uh, and how it intersects with the vampire universe. I can tell you when it lands. Oh, boy, it's got insider um, information. Well... 
Unconfirmed, but it will be. <laughs> Unconfirmed, <laughs> when, but Boydie knows. <laughs> no, yeah. It's going to be uh, December 6th. And partly why this sticks out is because I'm flying to New York that day. Oh, are you? Yeah. For, for anything to do with this? No, a little, a little you know, for birthday his birthday. holiday. Birthday. birthday break. You're going away for a little birthday yeah, yeah, party. So that's, so, yeah, okay, okay, um, uh, have you got your invitation? I don't appear to oh, have I'm my going invitation. As well. oh, I bet you are. <laughs> I you can, bet you mate, are. Mate, listen, if you can get a flight to Manhattan <laughs> on um, 6th, 7th, 8th, yeah, fine. <laughs> what are you going to do there, Boydie? What are you doing? Uh, do you know what I am going to tr- do is going to see um, uh, Sarah Paulson on the Broadway stage. Very oh, jealous. She's in a play, yes. Um, and I cannot wait for that because she's obviously a legend. That That's exciting. one thing I know I'm doing. Okay, good. Yeah. good. Other than that, you're just going to hang out. Just going to hang out. Just stand yeah. outside the Supreme Store doing kick flips on your skateboard. I might go into the Supreme Store. Oh, I mean, that would probably be yeah. better. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, I would almost certainly definitely be doing that. Yeah. <laughs> okay, um, good. Mm. Good stuff. Uh but yes, but other news, other news. Hit me with other news. I had no news, but I've just looked some up. And welcome <laughs> to Wrexham has been renews, uh, renewed for a third season, which I'm delighted about. I did see that. Um, I did see that. And in equally delightful news, Selling Sunset is also coming back for season eight, James. I am thrilling. Thrilled by this. Unlike, let me tell you. Yeah, unlike I know. Shadow and Bone. I know. One of one of James's favourite. I was I was I was quite yeah. shocked by Wow, that was cold. Uh, I was quite shocked by that. Yeah, Lee Bardugo, the author of the books, was mortified by oh, it. By all accounts, this is a victim of the strikes oh, uh, no. because obviously it's gone too long and they've missed their release window uh, or rather, yeah. you know, and, and, or production window presumably as well. And so, yeah, it's been cancelled. There will not be a season Can't three. Can't they just push it back? Uh, apparently not. Alina Starkov will not return, which is a shame. But oftentimes with these things, when you get a strike, it's like, I think they often feel like if you leave it too long between seasons, you just lose your viewership. Mm. So then it becomes, well, what's the point? Which I was always really surprised that Carnival Row came back for that final series because I would have thought it was such a long gap that they must have lost the vast majority of their viewers. Uh, and, you know, and so you can kind of understand why, yeah, but equally it's very upsetting. Yeah. It happened with the last writer's strike as well. You remember yes, that? Like a yes. lot of shows didn't come back because they were like, well, we've missed the window now. It's done. I mean, There's if no they point. really wanted it, they would have. Well, they no, because I think really successful shows will come back regardless. Yeah. But ones that are borderline, yes, right. exactly. those yeah. are the ones that fall through the cracks. And I suspect from a viewership point of view, this was borderline. So yeah. this is not the only one. Uh, what else is not coming? Glamorous isn't coming back. Uh, and Which on the, one was Glamorous? I don't know. I've never seen it, but it was <laughs> yeah. on Netflix. But also, is other two... Sorry, I think it's the one with the guy with um, it's the one with what's the name from Sex in the City. I think I'm going to look up. The boy's going to look up what glamorous <laughs> is, uh, but also they've been swinging the animated axe as well, and oh, they've yes. killed Agent Elvis, Falza, and Captain Fall. Three animated shows I have never heard of, but nevertheless, I'm sure there are people out there who are upset about it. Glamorous. Yeah, it was Kim Cattrall. Kim Cattrall vehicle, yeah. Oh, yeah. the one with the assistant. The one, and... Yes, the one with the shocking level, frankly, <laughs> of everything. Sex, drugs, and everything. And it had a 12th certificate. Don't mm. remember this uh, at I all. I find it absolutely fascinating. Did we review it? No, we didn't. Oh, okay. No, well, it was a I busy week. And I don't think we got screeners, etc. Mm. Um, but I was, I was mainly fascinated from that, from that, for that reason, really. It's just quite a spectacularly um, bold show, to use my favourite word. Yeah. Well, I have some Last of Us news. Oh, Obviously, yeah. Last of Us has been in limbo while everything's been on strike, but it's spinning up again and they're going to begin production at the beginning of 2024. So that's good news. There's also been a rumour floating around that Caitlin Deaver, who is fabulous, is being considered for the role of Abby. Now, I don't know 100% whether this is true or not. This is one of these kind of leaked rumour type things. It may not be true. If it is true, 
it's an interesting lateral move, shall we say. Uh, that character's defining trait is her physicality, like she's massive and sort of built like a brick shit house, which is like the defining part. I would argue Kayla Neva isn't. Uh, having met her, I did not feel physically threatened by her, but, you know... But Such it, a name dropper. I am, you're absolutely right. No, she and Beanie Feldstein came into the pod for... Um, oh, yeah, uh, What's yeah, it? Yeah, for, yes. for, for the thing that, that I'm talking about. Uh, Booksmart! That's yes. it, for Booksmart. <laughs> Um, but yeah, so I don't know. But then equally, I suppose it, it is someone who will at some point end up in a physical conflict with Ellie. So maybe they're thinking in terms of Bella Ramsey. I don't know. Who who knows how they're how they're trying to balance? Who it knows? Out. Who knows if this is even I true? Don't. Oh yeah. But Boyd 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 has no skin in the game. Doesn't care who plays Abby at all. Well, no, I don't because I don't really know beyond the first season that I've watched. Fair enough. What happens? Um, I like. There's news. Oscar host news. You see the Oscar host news? No. Yeah. Jimmy Kimmel, for the fourth time, okay, is going to host the Oscars, 2024 Oscars, which, let me remind you, is going to be on ITV. Yeah, but on when, though? ITVX. On the night, live. Now, Boydo. No, but what night? Oh, what night? Because oh. it had been pushed back, hadn't it? And oh. I don't remember what the, if they even settled on a new day, I'm hold sure on, they did, on, but I don't know what on, it is. Hold on. More Listen importantly, have you received your invitation to do the analysis afterwards? Absolutely not yet, no. What? No, maybe if I mention often enough on Come the show, on someone from ITV will wake Pull up. your finger out. Yeah. Mm. Oh, do you know what? I showed you, I showed Kay this before, I'm looking yeah. on the Variety website, and there's this incredibly intrusive ad for clothing. Oh, God. No, don't start right. him up again on it's, this. And it, you literally can't it gets in the way of the fucking thing. <laughs> it's, um, anyway, it's going to be on Sunday 10th of March. Oh, okay. Yeah. Okay. So Fine. I didn't even know that it had a date yeah, though, yeah, because I remember when the strike was on, they kind of just were like, okay, we don't yeah. know when it's happening. No, Sunday 10th of March, which is roughly, you know, normal kind of time. But do you know, so he's, he's hosted, this will be the fourth time Jimmy Kimmel's hosted and I think Jimmy Kimmel's done a really good job. job, job. He's done a really good job so far. He's my favourite of the kind of current crop of of late night talk show hosts in America. Uh-huh. I think he's very likable and funny. Um, other people who've hosted it four times are Whoopi Goldberg mm-hmm. and Jack Lemmon. Huh? And the only people who've hosted it more times are... Steve Martin. No. But I like the fact that you're guessing. <laughs> Close. Uh, yeah, I got nothing. Johnny Carson. I mean, that's old school. Billy Crystal. Was hosted oh, Billy Crystal. Crystal. Of course, Billy Crystal. Billy Crystal hosted it nine times. Which nine extraordinary. times. Yeah. And Bob Hope hosted it 11 times. There you go. Okay. Um, but I'm very excited about it. I think it's going to be a good year for the Oscars. I'll say that now. Really? Yeah. Okay. <laughs> Fine. Sure, why not? Okay. Um, I will say that in Netflix's continuing crusade to get me to watch animated shows, uh, a trailer for the anime series of The Terminator dropped this week. I didn't watch it. Deliberately, you boycotted <laughs> No, I just didn't get around to it. Okay. But I'm just saying that their plans are not succeeding. Um, is there any other news? Did you see? A little bit, yeah. The the I, I mentioned when it was first announced that the sequel to the Kemp's um, doc, oh, yeah. faux documentary that I think is one of the funniest shows on, on TV for the last few years. It came out a couple of years ago and about Gary Martin Kemp from Spandau Ballet. Yes. James. And I, I know. A, there's a sequel on the way to that 2020 mockumentary triumph called um, The Kemp's Colon All Gold. And they just, they released the first picture of it this week and the picture itself is just hilarious they're good got, sports aren't they they're really good sports they're dressed in like their old Spandau Ballet huh. new romantic gear like kilts and stuff and they've, and they've announced who's, who else is in the show um, Dexter Fletcher's in it doing returning Legend. to acting for this special um, Tamsin Althwaite is going to be in it Adil Ray is going to be in it it's basically like a star Christopher Eccleston Danny John Jules from Red Dwarf woohoo David Arnold is in it playing himself I presume the James Bond composer um, uh, and lots of other people Lenny Rush 
case yeah. favorite Lenny Rush from I am being am I being unreasonable? Loads of great people, but I, this is one of the my, my most highly anticipated shows of the year because I thought the original was so funny. Um, so yeah, that will be wrong at Christmas time, roughly. Uh, so I had that, and there was one other one other bit of news I saw. Oh yeah, they, you know, there's a new series of these. Do you remember Suspect on Channel Four? The kind of star-studded, whodunity type thing with um, with Amory Duff. Hang on, is this is this Aiden Turner? Uh, maybe Aiden Turner. No, no. Am I confusing it with something else? I think so. Paul okay. Dark. Anyway, definitely yeah. not Paul Dark. No, Dominic Cooper's in this one. Um, along with Tamsin Gregg, Vinette Robinson, Eddie Marzan. It was loads and loads of big stars. Celine Buckens. Oh, yes. Do you remember? Yeah, it was loads of different stars. Gene McKee's in it. Yeah, it was It was like, yeah, it was quite a high uh, concept kind of crime thriller whodunit type of thing. Anyway, there you go. Was it, hang on, hang on. This was the James Nesbitt one. James Nesbitt, that's right. Yes. Okay. Yeah, I Jimmy do know Nesbitt. what it is. Yes. Uh, Nesbitt doesn't seem to be, is not back for this series okay. for various reasons. Okay. <laughs> yeah. Okay. That is it. We're done with news. We are finished with news. Let's have another guest. So, I should say, as you all know, Doctor Who OG, Russell T. Davis, is returning to the TARDIS for the new season of Doctor Who. Uh, And that one kicks off this week with a Doctor Who special, which two of the three of us haven't seen yet because we weren't fucking invited, but Boydie has seen our Fantasy Power Station. Uh, (laughs) But we will be reviewing it on the next Pilot Plus. And speaking of Pilot Plus... As an extra special treat for our beloved subscribers, Boydie recorded a whole Doctor Who special with Russell T. Davis, talking all about what's ahead, what's come before, and even putting a load of your questions to the man himself. And that'll be up on Pilot Plus very, very soon, by which I mean after Boyd gives me the audio. <laughs> uh, and uh, But we didn't want to want to disappoint those of you who don't actually subscribe, because we do love you too, albeit slightly less. Um, and so for your listening pleasure... Here is an extract of the interview from that Doctor Who special, which you can listen to now. But please do subscribe to Pilot Plus at empireonline.com slash pilot TV to hear the rest of it. Uh, here is Boydie talking to the notorious RTD. Hello and welcome to Russell T. Davis for our, I'm calling it our, our, our Doctor Who special pilot TV podcast. That is in our Russell T. Davis special. That's what I demanded. But and the Russell T. It's both. <laughs> oh, don't know. They've done, honestly, boy, they've done an Imagine About Me, one of those Alan Yen Tobs oh, Imagine. yes. Which is yes. lovely, and they showed it to me the other day. I mean, do you want to actually watch 75 minutes of yourself? Of course I do. This, so is well, why, I, this is why all actors go mad. That's why they go mad. All yeah. Actors go mad. And it's because they have to look at themselves all day long. What was it like? So you get the full Yen Top treatment. You get the full, like, it's, in the... <laughs> I didn't come on to talk about this, but it's like... I it's, know, you well, mentioned it. You know what? <laughs> it's really lovely. It's like, oh, I was surprised, kind of... It kind of, do you know, I actually realised things about myself that I hadn't realised before when, when they actually lay it out. How I just write my own life, actually. It's like, you know, I was young and then the AIDS crisis came on. I ended up writing it to sin and I'm gay. So I ended up writing Queer as Folk and I love Doctor Who. So I ended up writing Doctor Who. When you see it kind of laid out that simply, it's like, I mean, I both felt very uh, honoured and very unimaginative. <laughs> at the same time <laughs> oh, this is really very simple what I'm doing here <laughs> yeah, terrible but, 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 yeah. oh, I can't wait to see it fascinating to see it yeah and you, the other show I was going to actually ask you about that you've done is The Wheel you're on Michael McIntyre's The Wheel oh, aren't you I know, honestly of all the shows it's the only show I did. my family loves The Wheel oh, I love it I- <laughs> so far, you see, my family, they don't really go online, and I've got to say, they won't listen to the pilot podcast. Fair so enough. I'm, trying, I'm sorry, I'm trying to keep it secret from them. But when it's on, and I'm, when it's on, I'm going to say, oh, come on to my house tonight. Let's have some sandwiches. Yes. Let's still watch the telly, and then it'll just be on. And oh, then, that's brilliant. It's a big laugh. Do you know that? Have you, have you been on that set? 
No, I, I keep saying I want to go on the set. I really want to do a behind-the-scenes feature I mean, on it. When you look at it, that wheel is huge. Deborah yeah. was kind of opposite <laughs> me, and she might as well have been in a different country. You have to, and they've got little headset in the chair, the headpiece. Uh, might uh, have speakers built into them, so you can hear Deborah Meaden. Wow! Half, by the way, across wow. the oh my god, I loved it. Fascinating. Did you have a dance? You know, when the wheel went round, uh, uh, they make <laughs> you do that. They they do. I'm giving away all the secrets. They do that separately with you. They, and those do not embarrass you. They're, they're very clever. All the production team can comes and dances with you. In front oh. Of you. So yeah, that's good. Like an idiot, and and then yeah. so spilled, and you're kind of thinking, "Oh God, this is going to be edited in." And it's the strangest thing because it's all one great big wheel. I wasn't aware of any cameras. It was that I, right. I know my studios. I know, yeah, my, yeah, yeah, yeah. And I was, I came out of it going, "Where were the cameras? Maybe it wasn't real. Maybe, <laughs> maybe, just, yeah, that was like a." Tax loss thing. It was a VR virtual experience that you know. <laughs> it was out so much fun. I've got to say, when you when you see those things, I once went to a, a live strictly final. When you see those, when you see those early shows, when I went to Granada, everyone yeah. used to go and see the Stars in the Rise final. When you see a big early show in studio at the height of its powers, you will see the greatest production you'll ever see. The the skill of the teams, the professionalism, the speed of it. Oh, I love it. I really Oh yeah, I went to the like X Factor finals and stuff in you know the peak period. Yeah. Fascinating. Yeah. So yes. good. And so run good. like a machine. They are yeah. machines. Yeah. yeah. Anyway. Yes. What we, what I, you know, we're in the build-up now. We're in a matter of days away from the arrival of your first 60th anniversary special. How are you feeling? And will you, what will you do? Will you have people round? How do you, you know, what do you do? You know, I haven't considered because I don't know what city I'm going to be in. My life kind of goes Swansea, Cardiff, Manchester, with a bit of London. And I don't actually know where I'll be, so I haven't planned anything. I think I'll just, I think I'll just sit there with a takeaway. And I will watch it, though. I watch everything. On transmission, do you know? I swear, boy, I swear, you don't know what the episode is like until you see it. Transmission is an old term now; people just drop things at any old time of day. I was watching. Now I can. Now we've got that Hooniverse on the iPlayer. I was watching like a Tom Baker story at half past nine this morning. Just so the concept of times of day for these things has gone. But I, I'm delighted we got here. It's been like such a long road. I tell you what I was thinking this morning was. We've got so much for this anniversary. We've got the Daleks in colour. We've got the children in need scene. We've got the episodes themselves. We've got there's the there's like documentaries and stuff like that. And now and I'm thinking, God, next year, we'll just have episodes. <laughs> I'm in a panic about next year. I'm just thinking, what are we on? What's the fuss next year? What do we do? What do we blow trumpets about? Just episodes? We can't well, just episodes. <laughs> episodes of Doctor Who. Yeah, just episodes. Of Doctor Who. <laughs> it seems yeah. so plain. It seems yeah. plain. There is a lot. You're right. I was going to. I mean, quickly on the on the children in need special with Moan Rizwan. Now I sat next to you at the juice screening, his show. So did you know then that you'd cast him? We shot it months. Oh, you're so good at keeping these things secret. We were enigmatic, and it wasn't about us that night. It was about Moan. But um, yeah, we gave nothing away. We were like, "Hi, Moan. Hi, hi, Russell." Like that. Very good. It's so mad. As if, I mean, we trust you. I don't know why we did that. But, um, but it's part of the fun, isn't it, of just announcing these things. Yeah. So literally, that's going out now on, um, oh, where are we? What day is it? Tuesday. That's going out on Tuesday. And I'm now sitting and going, what the hell do we do for next year? Right now. So it's like you've just got to. You've got, because actually, you've got to set up that thing. You've got to book someone. You've got to build a set. I have to write the script. It's not, you know, suddenly we'll turn around and it'll be next November. It's like, oh my God, what are we doing? Yeah. So planning that now, if I can. Wow. 
I mean, yeah. incredible. Let's go. Uh, when you when uh, it was kind of serendipitous, wasn't it? That you you coming up with the idea to do a 60th anniversary special, at least at least mm-hmm. one with Catherine Tate. It all came from Catherine Tate's infusing yes. about the 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 few viewer longs on on Twitch and all of that. Twitterlongs, yes. Twitterlongs. Yeah. Twitterlongs. What did I call them? Yeah, viewer longs. Sounding like my mum. Yeah, Twitterlongs. Um, but pretty much serendipitously, the BBC said, well, why don't you come back and run the show, right? Well, it was all at the same time. At the same time, that before I came along, the BBC had been sitting there, like, it's their job. Piers Wenger, who was the head of drama. Charlotte Moore was the head of the whole BBC. We're just looking at it as a property, saying, where do we go next? What happens? What do we do? And the world is changing. And Doctor Who, more than any other show, I think, should always try and keep up to date. And they're looking at the streamers dropping seasons and 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 the worldwide audience, the, you know, the feeling of things dropping worldwide simultaneously, and and also the budgets that, that fantasy shows are now having, and and worrying that genuinely worrying that Doctor Who's son to look old in comparison. And it was just time for a change. It was time to investigate a change. None of this was set in place, but. So they turned to him at the same time. It's fun. I you know I have a great relationship with Piers Wenger. I love him. And, you know, he's the power behind Doctor, this whole thing and Doctor Who in many ways. And, you know, he commissioned um, Cucumber off me and I did very English scandal with him. And, you know, we've known each other for years. He took over producing Doctor Who after I left. And so um, it was after, it was after our 15th program being made on the cheap that he did turn around and say to me, one day I will get you a program with a proper budget. Yes, you swore to me to do it because I've never had this before. I've never had a proper budget ever, ever. All every single show I've done has been genuinely scrimping and saving and scratching for the budget with Nicholas Schindler as a producer, who's just the best. But you know, we'd always sit there and think, my God, one day we'll have a budget. So all of these things, all of those things we had coalescing as well. That made him look at me and kind of say, Oh, it's about time he had a budget to work with. And um and also the fact they were going to a streamer made them think, look, we actually need someone, dare I say, senior. I'm, I'm as young as a chicken, as you know. But, um, but actually, you know, it is, you are in amongst the big boys out there in the streaming world, and, and it's busy, and you end up with 57 executives, and you end up with a big budget and a lot of planning and a lot of lot of work, a lot of meetings. So you, they actually needed someone with experience. And actually, of course, I had experience of Doctor Who. So all that kind of fell into place at the same time. So I thought I was coming to them with a kind of modest little approach, like, would you like, I mean, we did an half an hour. We did an half an hour of the Doctor meeting Fred Astaire and having a tap dance. That would have done. And um, and suddenly they came back with this enormous offer of, well, Yes, thank you. We'll do that. And what if it's what if we just go much bigger and try this? You know, we couldn't have known that, we, that they would succeed, but they kind of they kind of agreed to underwrite to go forward with the promise that you know we'll make at least one season like this and to see where we get. And I just all the sparks in my head went, yes, yes, yes. Gosh, did any part of you go? Well, apart from the sparks that went, yes, yes, yes. Did any part of you go? Oh. I remember reading the, you know, all the details of towards the end of your time as showrunner, first time round. You got it was quite stressful and and you know borderline, you know, breakdown inducing. So did any part of you think, oh, I'm not sure if I want to get into that whole thing again? There was that, um, and 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 the hardest phone call I had to make was to my agent. That <laughs> 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 wasn't been bear in mind. This was exactly in the months that it's a sin was transmitting. Exactly those months, which. Um, Fortunately, marvelously, it was one of the biggest successes of my life. And so it was 
it's never true that a, a writer can ever can ever do what, whatever they want. But that was one of those times in the life where, yes, okay, I got close to that. And so they're saying, right, what shall I do next? Doors were open, you know, people love a success. And um, so I went back to Doctor Who. I went forward to Doctor Who, that's the way to say it. But So that was a surprise. It was a surprise to my agent was utterly lovely and supportive and just wants me to be happy. But it was, it was, a, I could hear the surprise. I could see it in myself in a way, but it is going forward with it. It doesn't feel like going back. And I just, and I was knackered the last time I did talk to you. So I just got into it this time kind of with certain conditions that, um, I mean, it's really simple things that like I've got an office now. When I did Doctor Who for five years before, I didn't have an office. I didn't have an office. I used to perch on like corridors and things. And I'd wait for people to finish other meetings. And I'd go and sit in Phil's office. I'd go and sit in Julie's office. And when everyone was busy, I go and sit in the main office. It was always busy, you know, there was like garlics and extras and food going in and out. And I never had an office. Now I've got an office. And it literally makes life a bit better, a bit calmer, a bit saner. So things like that. I've got a nicer life. I've got a house in Swansea now, which is lovely. You know, I used to, I, I used to, feel like I was moving from pillar to post and now I'm just an hour's drive away. My family's here in Swansea. So that, and I love it being here in Swansea. I still live in Manchester as well, but it's just, I've got a nicer life in place, slightly. Um, um, so you know, it's all rubbish and I will ended up working night and day and I'm exhausted. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just lying to my teeth. I'm trying to look for the good in this. No, it's slightly better controlled so far. Right, right. And is it still the same? Are you, is it, you know, back, you, you kind of established a pattern, really, of the, the showrunner, whoever it would be, whether it's you or Stephen Moffat or, or Chris Chibnall, you'd write, you know, the beginning and end of a series and a chunk in the middle. Is that still the same with, yes. with other writers coming in? Yeah. It is. Yes, yes, yes. I still write most of them. It's funny, people always, people who sort of say to you, um, people perhaps who don't like my writing or who's inclined to say, why don't you write less episodes? And you sit there, you know, I'm paid by the script. You idiots. It's like, <laughs> less episodes. Why would I, well, I'll earn less money this year. You fools. Um, but yeah, it is, you're right. It's the openers. It's the finales. I've got the, I'm the kind of overseer of it, but um, we haven't released all the names yet of, of everyone writing it. But for example, we've got um, Kate Heron and Brian e. Redman. A great writing team. Kate was the exec on the first series of Loki, and I'm dying to ask what she thinks of the second series of Loki. I've just finished that, and I must. And um, um, so you, I mean, you work with talent like that, and it's just lovely. I learn, I get better. It's it's fantastic working with those two. Um, you just see how they work and how their brains work. So yeah, there's lots. There's input from other people. Nonetheless, I'm I am in charge of where the TARDIS goes. And, you know, I have to be the one making sure that it varies itself. Otherwise, everyone might do an episode set on a space station. People like space stations. You get more ideas, more ideas on space stations than anywhere else. People are scared of planets. The writers very rarely come in and say, oh. there's a planet where this happens because it's almost a bit too big. Oh, I like a planet. Yeah. I like a planet. I know yeah. the, it's that world-building thing. Mm. Very Star Trek planet, you know. Well, like, yes, yeah. and also, it's. I think writers still, it'd be good to get this series on air where writers can believe that we can do a planet. I mean, we've done brilliantly in the past, so don't be rude about old Doctor Who's, Doctor Who's that I've made, but actually there is a bit more money and um, 
we can make it look good. Yeah. yeah. You did say, I was looking back when I interviewed you about it's about it's a sin for Empire. You said, um, well, I asked you whether there was anything you would have done differently when you're running Doctor. And you said, well, just I would have done it with a bigger budget. And, and you know, <laughs> in, yeah, it was incredible. You literally said that. And uh, I was like, oh, okay. So like that, that dream has come true. Is it, has it changed the way you write the show? Like having that bigger budget? That- I mean, it was, let me just say how much I remember that interview with Empire with you for it's a sin because oh. you were the first person. It was before it had been well before it was December, wasn't it? Yeah, and the, you were the first person that made me think, oh, maybe this works because you loved it. Oh, and you were so lovely yeah. about it. Yeah, and that was the first time. But we know, bear in mind, we'd all been thinking an AIDS drama. Does anyone want to watch <laughs> an AIDS drama? And when you came in, and I thought, oh. Oh wow, maybe this works. That was a lovely day. That was. I oh, remember yeah. very well in the um, what's it called, St Martin's Lane yes, Hotel. hotel. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. Very clearly, it yeah. was a turning point. So then we no, went amazing. January for transmission, thinking, "Oh my God, maybe this works." Anyway, what was that question? What I do? What? What? what do you, I, does it affect the right how you write the show? The fact that you've got this bigger budget. Do you know it doesn't really? I end up making the same old cuts. It's funny. It's like. It, I went into this thinking, like I said at the beginning of this chat, I've never worked on budgets this big. But actually, it ends up with the same old problem. How do you solve this problem? Green screen. <laughs> it's, it's the same old green screen. The other day, was at a, 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 an eddy was £300,000 over, over in effects. And I went, oh, give it here. And I watched it an hour. An hour later, I cut. Uh, bear in mind, I don't really know the cost of effect shots. Not really. I'm not right. an expert. But I took this script and I gave it back an hour later and I cut like £298,000. <laughs> <laughs> and then like, okay, okay. Good. I, think, I just thought that's, that's, I mean, that's not something I'm showing off there, but that's just, just the skills I've yeah. got the years. It's like, I'm of 60 course. old now. I kind of do know my way around what a planet costs, what a robot costs, what, uh, how many times you have to replace the background and blah, blah, blah. So I'm well versed in it. So weirdly, it's, it's a funny thing because in some ways I haven't learned vast volumes of things because you end up, it's also worth saying we haven't got a vast budget. It's not a Star Wars budget. It's not a Star Trek budget. And actually we don't particularly want that. We didn't go pitching for that. We wanted it because I think there's something Marv, something about Doctor Who that takes place in the hearth, in the home. There's still something focused about it. It's not about, it's still not about the big picture somehow. Mm. So, um, it's intimate. Yeah. So, yeah. Yeah. There, yeah. yeah. There's a kind of, it's, it's, it, you know, that TARDIS can land anywhere. There's, something, mm. there's still something every day about it. And, yeah. um, so I went into it. Um, none of us wanted that. So we've ended up with a good budget, but, it's like we do the same old things, but they're all more expensive. So, so it's actually it's the same amount of effect shots. It's the same amount of monsters. You still end up with like four monsters walking down the street. That was Russell T. Davis, and it's time for reviews. And first up this week, we're heading back down under for Australian drama. No, <laughs> no? I'm putting a stop to that. I'm putting a stop to that. All right. I mean, it's, it, honestly, Awful, the, the voices. I'm hearing voices in my head. Oh, I'm so sorry. Uh, anyway, <laughs> this is Australian drama, which is actually, frankly, making its way to these shores on Paramount+. Plus. Uh, and as you'd expect from any great Australian drama, it stars West Yorkshire's own Jodie Whittaker uh, and concerns itself with a long-buried secret that comes to life when one of a trio of friends, in this case, played by Nicole De Silva, uh, publishes an ill-advised book that skews uncomfortably close to real life. Kay. Mm. Did you have a bonza time with the Australian gem? 
I just, wow. I, how can we stop him? <laughs> you can't. I can't shameless, stop. Shameless, isn't it? I uh, can't stop. And it's yeah. terrible. Yeah. I enjoyed this. Yeah, I did. I don't know if I had a bonzer time, but I did enjoy it. Um, yeah, so as you said, the um, series follows three friends. Tess, played by Jodie Whittaker, Simone, played by Nicole De Silva, and Hat, played by Yale Stone. And um, they were good friends in childhood. They all uh, experienced one day a traumatic event, which has um, sort of impacted their lives in different ways. Tess went off and lived, I think in the UK, she moved away, um, but has come back. And it's coincided with Simone publishing a novel which is actually based on their experience. She's pretended her agent, who incidentally, I have to say, is played, who is Dennis in the newsreader, so I was very delighted to see him on screen, um, lies to the agent that actually it's all fictionalised, but actually it's not. It's based Mm -hmm. on real events. And so she then gets skittish when Tess returns. And you know, through flashbacks, it's a combination of flashbacks and then occasionally it's like present day events where melded with past experiences. I don't know what the technical term is for that. Um, we get to see that something awful happened to one of them. I have to say, I, I mean, it took, a, for me, it took a quite a while just setting the scene and establishing these characters and this one of them, which, you know, they all episodes it's like drip fed but yes. you kind of know pretty much from the beginning what's happened I think you can guess yeah. but even by the end of the first episode it's not 100% explicit though it heavily implies it's, what's it's not explicit but I mean you well have... I suppose to be fair I think part of it has been implied I suspect there's a lot more to that event yes. than is than we've seen Yeah. Uh, I suspect there's a second act to that particular sequence mm. so yeah for me it just takes a while to set the scene but um, yeah it's, it's definitely intriguing I'm very delighted as I said that Dennis from the Newsreader is in it <laughs> uh, I do have to give some feedback as a book reviewer that and I do judge a book by its cover. The crap, the title, the cover is absolutely crap. The cover crap. is terrible. It's so yeah, bad. It's so and it keeps, shoddy. It keeps, she keeps on looking at it and I'm yeah. just like, why do you look delighted yeah. with that? Because that is absolutely... I started to wonder, the cover is so terrible of mm. this faux, uh, which kind of turns into something different than the, from the original novel as planned. Indeed. Mm. Um, I'm just, I was thinking, is that mid-spoiler? No. Um, <laughs> typical style. It, the cover is so terrible. I wonder whether it was an Australian thing that maybe books in Australia have a different, you know, type of cover than what? we used to. What, you mean, or like something? they're upside down. <laughs> they're upside down or <laughs> they're just tor- torrid and it, no, it is I think terrible. It is a terrible yeah. cover, yeah. But get, let, don't, let, don't let that get in the way. Do you know what? I, I changed my mind about this quite a bit because um, I think the first episode isn't great, mm-hmm. I would say. Yes. Because um, it, it is so much, there's so much scene to set. Like you're introduced to the three main characters they're into relationships they're partners so like Jodie Whittaker's character Tess is married to a woman and they've got kids mm. and and all of they've all got different various partners or whatever and they're younger versions of themselves you're introduced to them and it sets up the what the one night is and then it sets up what's going to happen with this fucking book that everyone's going to be pissed off about when they find out that yeah. she's done it it's just a lot to pack in to keep you uh, yeah to keep you keep your attention yeah it actually gets much much better as it goes along okay. i think i think the I... difficulty with that first one is is because if you just had it it's these three friends and one of them's writing a book and all this stuff comes out you could that's quite contained but the whole other dimension to this is that they've not kind of at least seen one of them for like 
yeah, yeah. Like 20 years or right. something. And she's come back. So you've got the whole reforging of this yes. friendship, which takes up, frankly, half the episode. Yeah. And it's interesting, but it means that the other sort of almost primary plot line gets a little bit lost in that yeah. first yeah. one. And you do find yourself playing catch up, I think, a lot of the way through. Just as a side note, I feel as the characters, like, they, the only one that I was most invested in, I think, is Simone, because she feels like she's more most layered out of all of them, because she's got so many things to contend with. This obviously. is Nicole de Silva's character. Yeah, so she's the one who's written the novel. She's the one that's, she has a very tense relationship with Tess, Jodie Whittaker's character, so you're wondering what's going on between them. She's also dealing with her dad, who's got dementia. There's a lot that's going mm. on with her, so I think she's the one that you can really get your... Well, Tess is the one who's dealing with the tra- really dealing with the trauma, though. Mm. And, and as I say, as it goes on, and in fact, the, the, the device they have for the episodes after the is that they, they're seen mostly from the point of view of a particular character. So there's an episode right. that's from Tessa's point of view, pretty much. There's an episode from Hat's point mm. of view, pretty Whereas much. Whereas the first one she's is... She's so annoying. Episode. That character's yeah. so annoying. I find Hat... Really? No, I don't yeah. mind her. I don't mind her. She, she, she's very interesting as it goes. It just gets... Re- but honestly, I've watched the whole thing because of I was interviewed Jodie. And um, it's really interesting. And it has some really fascinating things to say about um, the exploitation of, our, of someone's trauma for, you know, which is effectively, is, you know, is what's happening with this book. Yeah. Mm. Um, and honestly, the scenes where um, Jodie Whittaker's character Tess finds out about various things and big revelations come tumbling out and to do with the night and to do with the book and to do with the people who got were involved that night. She has unbelievable confrontations with people like, well, she unleashes a fucking fury and I you and she swears there's so much swearing in this thing by the way there's one character there's this one guy I won't name him because it's not he literally says fuck 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 every fucking sentence it's so and I found it quite funny after a while there's C words flying so it it kind of gets more I felt the first episode was a little bit uptight in a weird way and it just gets much looser and there's it, sometimes it's quite can be quite funny in a weird way. There's like teenagers brought in. Teenage one's got this got a teenage kid who gets involved in the lo- with the local teenagers, and it just it gets gets kind of it, it's really interesting. I was absolutely gripped, and so you know I, th- I think the first episode isn't amazing, but and they could have fixed that maybe I don't know. But from then on, it really it, it kind of goes full power and it's fascinating. And Jodie Whittaker is phenomenal. I have to say they're all you're right. Nicole Silva and Simone is brilliant. Even but even even the character of Hat Yellowstone's character is really interesting. Yellowstone, who got, of course we had. A heavy Brooklyn accent in Orange is yes. the New Black, and I was yes. like, "Oh, she actually is Australian." Yeah, yeah, yeah. And we and Jodie Whittaker, who does a great Australian she accent, does. by the way, even though she'd been living in the, as you say, she'd been living in London with yeah. her wife and their kids for years. But she has a proper, but she has a proper Australian, Australian accent, accent. It's normal, almost as good as mine. Uh, almost. I mean, you know, you're the. As <laughs> We've you've got Australian listeners. As you you discovered like... today, the king of the voices <laughs> is James. Who knew? Don't say that because he, no. he says that as a green yeah. flag. Jodie got a lot to learn if she learn it from James. You know, I mean, I'd be happy to give her. You know, dialect. Yeah, coaching. she wants to do another Australian <laughs> series. Um, but she's phenomenal and gets some fantastic scenes. As I say, these confrontations are amazing. And and the ending is, is clever. There is, it's it it manages to be very much about post the tra- the trauma is horrendous, while also having twists within that kind of within that story, if you like, with it, with it pertaining to those themes. Yeah. So, and and it's also by the way, there's the beautiful backdrops a bit similar to um, I think Jodie makes the point um, in the interview to Broadchurch where you've got this incredible coastal New South mm. Wales town where they all live oh yeah it's beautiful so you've got a beautiful shot. backdrop of, and also and that. good property as always in these some very, yeah you're right some very good property I want her house <laughs> yeah gotcha yeah so I, I really in the end I like I, I honestly I, yeah I wasn't sure about the first episode then it completely won me over totally there we go one night then which comes to Ooh. Paramount Plus, when, boy, did you know I'm not prepared with my... Ah! Ha-ha, I've caught point. him out. You caught me out. Hold on. He's on the back foot. Friday. Friday. One night then Paramount on Plus. Friday on Paramount Plus. 
Next up, we have Such Brave Girls on BBC Three, which stars and is written by Kat Sadler. Uh, and this revolves around two sisters being raised by a single mother in Crawley. And that's in Crawley, crucially not the Crawleys, which would make it Downton Abbey. Um, I think it's safe to say... Tenuous. <laughs> I mean, no, yeah. no. I okay. wasn't, wasn't going to even comment on that. Yeah, fine, <laughs> fine, whatever. Anyway, so this is about them. They're living in Crawley. I think it's fairly safe to say that this show features possibly the most single distressing scene of kitchen fingering you're likely to stumble across this week. <laughs> but maybe not. Who knows what else will happen? Uh, but of course, who better to talk about such brave girls though than our very own Brave Boyd? <laughs> Thank Good you. One. Thank you. Yes, this is, um, as you said, uh, cre- written and created by Kat Sadler. It stars her own real-life sister, Lizzie Davidson, as her sister. Um, so they're real-life sisters. And it is, uh, to some extent, based on their relationship, apparently. I, you know, yeah. Um, and then Mum, played by the great Louise Brealey from Sherlock. And what a brilliant role. For my, first, my first comment is, what a brilliant role for Lou Brealey, because she doesn't... She, she, we've seen her in... She was brilliant in Sherlock. Lou Brealey is a former like journalist, entertainment journalist, basically, is what I love. Hi. Oh, yeah, yeah. She was friends with Mark Frith. And, yeah, yeah. And uh, former editor of Heat. And she was in Thingy, wasn't it? That was cancelled oh, by Thingy's Netflix. Oh, Thingy's great. Thingy, Love thingy, you know, you know, Who Joe Cornish's. Oh, the, the, the Lockwood and Co. Lockwood and Co. Thank yeah. you. Who did she play in Sherlock? Was she the secretary? She was Molly, the pathologist in oh. uh, Sherlock. She was famously <laughs> very obsessed with Sherlock, with Benedict Cumberbatch and Sherlock. Be? In, but that was, and it was depicted. Who wouldn't be? You're right. But it was depicted in a brilliant way. One of the great joys of, of Sherlock itself was her, her, her character. Anyway, she is hilarious. I thought she was hilarious in this as this m- kind of like completely maverick mother who has got these daughters who have issues. I mean, one of them has major mental health issues. The other one's this kind of maverick figure anyway who doesn't... And they don't make many allowances, to say the least. I think it's one of the great... The comedic devices is they don't make me allow many allowances for the girls' mental health issues at all, if any. And this mother is just frustrated that these two fucking daughters are living with her, getting in the way of her love life for a start. So she kind of ha- invites this guy, Dev, played by Paul Basley from Benidorm. You're right, he's been in lots of stuff. He's a very funny actor. Um, and hence this scene in the kitchen that James has referred to. If I mentioned that, would have been a spoiler. <laughs> yeah, but you apparently would have got hey, I gave it no context. You're the one who just uh, spoiled it. <laughs> oh, shut up. Okay. Um, it's directed by Simon Bird of the Inbetweeners uh, fame. And I think he knows he's very good directing comedy like this, this kind of stuff. I thought it was really good, bottom line. Um, it just, I think the key for me about comedies like this, edgy comedies that are dealing with tough subject matter, but in a comedic way is, they have to be fearless. Mm. And there's a real fearlessness to this Oh one. my gosh. This like, is like yeah. just throwing everything exactly. out. They, they do not care. No. And at first I found that shocking. Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. The first, shocking. the first couple of scenes, I I wasn't like totally into it. I was like, oh. Because, you know, like, it didn't instantly mm. get me that first couple of scenes. And then suddenly it hits its stride. And it is... I, I did think of you, James, when I was watching. I thought, "Oh gosh, he is going to recoil at this because yeah. it is it is hard hitting, yeah, right?" Is. And wonder, they do not. I'm bracing myself. For they the do James not shy verdict. away from like no. you know because they are dealing with difficult subjects. She was sec- um, the character of Josie, played by Kat Sadler, was section. She's um, really depressed. Her mum gives her short shrift. Just believes that taking a shopping's going to help things. She should just get back with her ex. Yeah. Very dismissive of it. The other sister, Billy, she's trying to get back with her good for nothing ex, and like goes through all these really cringe the different ways of trying to win him back which honestly make your toes curl but it's just like it's really you, funny you know what it reminded me of tonally <laughs> James is bracing himself for his <laughs> verdict but I can, I'm guessing what it's going to be tonally it reminded me of 
Bottoms, you know this film, have you seen? Yeah, Bottoms, Bottoms is great. Yeah. Well, you know, Bottoms is weirdly hyper-violent, right? It it's is. It's about these these high school girls who launched oh, their right. own fight club. And it's about... But it, it, and, and this climaxes with a very violent scene, which I thought was absolutely hilarious, this ep- the first that's, episode. That's interesting you say that, because Bottoms has a slightly surreal tone, which I think I've said before, falls somewhere between 10 Things I Hate About You and Scott Pilgrim. Uh, and this also has not quite a surreal tone, but an incredibly heightened, type of real time where it's it's I mean it could never be mistaken for a drama because it's so over the top in its scenarios and as you'll recall Scenari- that well, is no. I'm, no. oh sorry I've scenarioed it again yeah, scenario. I'm sorry so over the top in its scenarios Keanu Keanu really scenarios <laughs> I mean you don't even maybe, maybe it's some Australian accent Australian. creeping up there yeah uh <laughs> <laughs> Just yeah. master your English accent. So, yeah, I should focus on that first. Um, but yeah, I, you know, I, I have a real issue with the, the heightenedness of sitcoms. I need them to be yes. slightly more earthy and grounded. Oh, so God. it Twice should come so. as no shot to you. I found this wildly unfunny. Oh, uh, I did not smile. I did cringe a lot. Yeah. Uh, but I, I did not It is have... quite cringe, cringe comedy. But it was. I was yeah. watching it and I was thinking, I hate this, but I am also, <laughs> I am also aware enough to know that that's not because it's terrible. It's just because it's not for me. Mm. Funnier. Um, funny, yeah. you know, all of those Funnier things. Funnier than Red Dwarf. It's not oh my, funnier than Red this Dwarf. Is so, uh, I really want everyone to give this a go. Yeah, this after is, they've watched Red Dwarf. No. Ignore James, <laughs> yeah. listen to Boyd yeah. and I, yeah. and um, yeah, watch this. It's really good. And I think, is this the first thing that Kat's written, or is it like... It's just She's of... contributed a lot to um, shows that she writes as a oh, writer yeah. on, like kind of... But I think this is the first this proper is her... fictional dramatic uh, comedic script yeah, yeah. That she's, that her she's own vehicle yeah, I, think I think it's so. brilliant yeah she delivers the material very well I have to be said like, yeah. I really enjoyed that she has a very deadpan delivery sort of mm. stuff even when they're talking about hard hitting subjects like suicide which they make a lot of light out of uh, but uh... <laughs> I just like even the small details like the boyfriend not being able to get an erection because of Josie's sad face <laughs> Yeah, fantastic. <laughs> yeah, there's there, there's very some very clever stuff in there, uh, but I'm famously humorless. No, it's not for you. Yeah, it's no. definitely definitely not one for James. Not one N-O- for James. Oj, Nuge, No, N O F J. Sorry. Wow. Not for- Acronyms by Boyd Hill. Just doesn't make sense. Anyway, such brave girls and lands on BBC Three. When Boyd Wednesday on the Wednesday on uh, BBC Ten o'clock, and of course the whole series as the, as is there won't a lot of an eye player the same day. Okay. For, for people who want James. Finally this week, we have Archie, which you have already heard about, and this one stars Jason Isaacs and Laura Aikman as Cary Grant and Diane Cannon. Kay, mm-hmm. having not drunk the Kool-Aid directly from Jason Isaacs' cupped hands, as Boydie has, uh, <laughs> wow. please tell us, did you appreciate this four-part bio series, of course, or did you, in fact, take it for granted? It's, it's I did enjoy it. Little, I did. Little, little pun there. It's yes, good. you're right. Good. I mean, I mean, if you have to <laughs> like, nice exactly. the pun. It's, but this is like the contrast between James. Let me li- let listeners in behind the veil. Is that when this podcast, the, the the pilot TV, but plus he doesn't really plan very well. Like he doesn't write a script sometimes. Yes, yeah, ever, so, ever, if ever. Whereas this one, he meticulously writes scripts. He wants recognition of his brilliantly honed puns. All right, we bow down. It's a terrible pun. I'm not even pretending it's a good pun. In fact, it was so awful. It actually but possibly curled my toes when I said it. But Yes, I did. I did at least come up with a pun. Yeah. Yes, okay. Yeah. That was a very good pun. Well done. <laughs> Recognise <laughs> the work. But respect the pun. Yeah. Anyway. Okay. Anyway. Um, Ca- d- carry on. Okay. Oh, God. <laughs> wow. <laughs> I can only blame it on the temperature in the studio. Which yeah. is it's really hot in here. Yeah. It is really hot in here. I feel like here. it's overcooked your brain. Honestly, like, yeah, I'm, I'm, really I'm, I'm dying here. Um, diaring. Right, Very anyway. Good. 
So yeah, I did enjoy this. So this is charting um, Cary Grant's life, born Archibald Leach, and it starts in 1961 in LA, and you kind of see him living this very glamorous life. You know, he's a very famous actor. He has this delightful house and all the trappings of fame. Uh, he can have. He has everything he wishes for, but he's ultimately not happy and then it casts his mind back through to his childhood and it, we kind of get an explanation as to how his life has panned out how it has um, we see that he's come from a very impoverished background and you know at school he was bullied for having the wrong kind of trousers his brother's premature death is covered off um, and the fact that his mother understandably took the brother's death very badly um, and was then sectioned by the father played by uh, Henry Lloyd Hughes um, and then the mum was played by Cara Toynton for ages I was looking at her going who is that mm. she really reminds <laughs> me of one another great EastEnders actress um, and yeah and so it kind of like shows how he was came from this really hard you know he he suffered a lot as a child and how he wanted to like make a better life for himself. And so he did that by joining a, what was it? Is it a dance troupe? Or is it, it was what, kind of like a little stage circus type yeah, thing, wasn't yeah, it? Like a okay. more circus yeah. Vaudeville, Vaudeville act. Vaudeville. Yeah. And he goes to America with them and then he decides to stay around. He doesn't return to England. He's got nothing to return for. His father's palmed him off on his grandmother. He bumps into George Burns, who's a turning point in his career, who's a you know, legendary comedian who lived till about 100 or something. And um, he, he told, told him to stay in America. American try and make it yes mm. so um, and then it and then it and then it flips back into the present day when he's giving this like talk what was it talk show he's going through no, he's answering doing, questions he did like live an audience with type yeah. Um, shows yeah in his latter years where he, he would answer do Q&A's with an, with an audience yeah, yeah. just answer with, and kind of yeah, talk to them and it flips between the present yeah. and the past and, and we also get to see how he um, he had been pursuing the Sophia Loren at one point and then he turns his attention to Diane Cannon who is his ex-wife who I think is involved in this use. She's a producer, yeah, along with his daughter. Isn't She wrote a book, didn't she, she Dear did. Carrie? And isn't that part of the inspiration for yes, this show? absolutely. Yes, yeah. it is. I really liked in this first episode, though, how they touch upon the fact that apparently, I don't know if this it must be true, he was considered to play James Bond and he was yeah. like, and he was basically like, no, well, play the same character for four Yeah, they want films. him to sign on for four films and he's like, fuck that. And doesn't he say something like Doctor No Way, which yeah, is a yeah, James yeah. level part oh, and is. I was really impressed by it. it. Yeah, <laughs> he did say that. Yeah. So, um... Yeah, I, I enjoyed it. I wasn't like, I didn't feel compelled to watch the second episode, I've got to admit, but I, I could see that it was, oh yeah. Um, there we go. K tolerates yeah. its existence. <laughs> I think it's, you know what it is, that I don't have like, I mean, I haven't seen tons of his films, so it's not like I'm invested in him as a person. But you know the main story, because I've, I've watched, obviously watched the whole thing because I yeah, interviewed them, etc. The story is extraordinary of what happened to In fact, the, the, the interesting thing about this whole thing is, this whole um, project is, if this had been about a normal bloke called yeah. Archibald Leach, who came, who lived in Bristol and was brought up in poverty and whose mum was sent away by his husband when the, the, the kid died and she couldn't take it, that itself, and what happens subsequent to that is an extraordinary story in its own right. Brilliantly dramatic, kind of quite, Traumatic, quite about trauma, mm. and but it happens to be about the most famous man in the world at that time. As he mm. was, he was the biggest star in the world in like the late fifties, early sixties when he was in films like North by Northwest, notorious. Was Hitchcock he bigger films. than Gregory Peck? Yeah, oh, absolutely. Yeah, okay. he was. He was pretty, pretty much like he's been described as like mixed between Brad Pitt, George Clooney, and Tom Hanks, all wrapped into one. 
And it's kind of it's kind of accurate because he was very much a, a, an actor who created this persona and stuck with it in all his films, and yet had a darker side that Hitchcock particularly recognised and cast him in these like notorious is fucking. I, I've started watching, as I say, an interview, um, a Cary Grant films ever since I got involved in you know interviewing them and I hosted the press launch, and they are he is brilliant. Like, and notorious is an absolute fucking masterpiece in North as is North by Northwest. Anyway, the point is, it's a story about his rise to fame and how he created this persona for himself that he, he used in real life, if you mm. like, and of this extraordinary trauma and what happened in his family life that I won't spoil if you don't know the full story because it is unbelievably shocking and dramatic. And and so, yeah, the two things, and it manages to squeeze in. Uh, what I liked about it was um, the, it's kind of like a mosaic. It avoids you know, simple chronological storytelling, like a normal biopic. And it kind of has the framing device of him doing these audience with kind of events and then flashes back and they use different film stocks and it'll have it, one scene will be, you know, him making North by Northwest with Hitchcock. And then the next bit will be another thing from his childhood. It kind of, it go, walks, moves around in time, but I thought very effectively because by the end of it, you've got a very, I think, rounded portrait. It deals with the fact that he took LSD for years under the aegis of his own doctor who prescribed it. He was basically on acid for a lot of the time. Oh, wow. and he convinces her to take acid. He talks about his sexuality. He was rumored to have had a relationship with Randolph Scott, who was a legendary film star in his early days. And it deals with it all, even though it is produced by, as you say, he's, he's co-produced by his ex-wife and daughter, but they've completely let them have free reign. And, he, and the ex Diane Cannon's book, which I read, is extraordinary. And he is, ends up being a very controlling um, man, with her, particularly with her. And that, what's interesting is back then, we didn't really have the vocabulary for what he was doing to mm. her. You know, you could well, like call coercive, it coercive. Yeah, yeah, basically, pretty much. So it's like history you know, tell her what itself. to wear, you know, you tell what to do forbade from doing certain films etc so it's got all of that it's got loads going on in it um, and I and I think in the end it's immensely powerful and impressive I think and, but bottom line Jason Isaacs like, yeah he's great mm-hmm. as he says he was like what, how can you do this thing because Cary Grant is one of the most re- talking of voices yeah. if you want the one of the most unique voices in film history is absolutely Cary Grant to the point where Tony Curtis famously impersonated him Some Like It Hot Tony Curtis Some Like It Hot spends half the film just doing a Cary Grant impression <laughs> and it, amazing, amazing voice, and and Jason Isaacs n- nails it. And more than that, he you you get into the man behind the myth, the mask, all these cliches. Mm. But you really do. I love. There's a brilliant scene where he's just talking to her, and I was talking to Prince, uh, Princess Grace or whatever about his kind of love life and how, if he's loved or not, and he's touching upon his sexuality. I thought there's some really clever ways of delving into those elements of his of his life. And she's but Laura Aitman, who looks uncannily yeah, like does. Diane. Can- it mm. is unbelievable. Unbelievable. The cover of the book, she, it's literally like Laura Aikman's on the cover of the book by about Cary Grant, but she also happens to be a brilliant actor as well, and she's fantastic. This is like a, what a brilliant role for her. Mm. Um, I love it, all of her stuff, but she and she's incredibly um, smart and impressive, and she's just perfect casting in this whole show. So yeah, I I'm very much enjoyed it. Do you know that the stuff about this that captivated me was not the Cary Grant stuff; it was right. the Archie Leach yes. stuff. It's the stuff about his childhood. I mean, as you know, like like child abuse stuff, I find very difficult to deal with at the best of times. Yeah, <clears throat> breeders, but uh, but this. Like, like the beginning of this, like it was horrific. Like his yeah. mother making him meet off the floor. His dad, who was a really nasty piece of work, and obviously existing in a time when men could basically just commit women for being quote unquote a bit hysterical because men yeah. were allowed to do that apparently, which is deranged. But it, it, the whole thing just was so hard to kind of get your head around and to see where he began to where you know people talk about rags to riches, but to see it kind of played out from such 
awful beginnings to mm. obviously where he ended up. And then you can kind of understand why he was such a problematic person because oh, having grown up with all that trauma, he's internalized it yeah. and he's you know, exhibiting learned behavior, isn't it? Like it's, it's, I mean, it's tragic that you see history repeating yeah, itself yeah. in that way. Um, but I, yeah, I thought the Archie Leach stuff, in particular, the real childhood stuff uh, in Bristol, that was shot in Liverpool, I believe, uh, was, yeah, was. It was, but he says that um, Jason Isaac says it was, it was the Archie Leach stuff that he, that was really drew him. Yeah, yeah. that's he, you know he wanted to play Archie. That, yeah. That's the thing, and and yeah, and they filmed it. Yeah, Liverpool for um, uh, Bristol. Bristol, and they and they didn't. I thought the LA stuff looks amazing. LA, it's Spain. Is it Spain? Yeah, it's Spain. Yeah, that's one of the best not LA LA yeah. <laughs> um, locations I've ever seen. Well, Archie then. Which comes to ITV when, Boydy? X. ITV X, sorry, my mistake. Thursday, all, of eight, all four episodes available Thursday. Okay, what is our pick of the week? Oh, God. Um, Mine's such brave girls. Such mine, brave girls for mine's Kay. Mine's Archie. Archie for Boyd. Oh, what would mine I be? I like, really like One Night as well, once it gets going. Well, then I'll choose One Night so we can have yeah. a completely unhelpful pick of the week. Yeah. Uh, let's do that. Okay, brilliant. That is it for this week's pilot podcast. We hope you enjoyed it. If you did, also please out. do head on to the also out <laughs> section where we tell you the other things are out this week, which of course I hadn't forgotten. No. Boydy, what's out this week? Well, talking of that 007 show, remember, Squid Game The Challenge starts this oh week. Oh my the, God. Yeah, what the fuck's that going to be about? Gonna Incredible. Be like, that's Wednesday on Netflix. Um, there is Two Doors Down, one of my favourite under shows the Scottish sitcom moves from BBC to BBC One on Friday this Friday do you say the Scottish sitcom because it's bad luck to say the proper title no two doors down that's okay a, a Scottish sitcom but it's a, a Scottish sitcom Hannah Waddingham special home for Christmas that's true is yeah. on Apple TV Plus on Wednesday I'm hosting an event for that of course you yeah, are yes um, uh, that might be it one trillion dollars is on oh. Paramount Plus on Thursday you're right one trillion dollars I don't know much about that and neither we do I so I can't tell you anything yeah, about exactly. it <laughs> and screeners weren't necessarily available and Kin which actually started the Saturday the weekend that's right, just gone yeah. but that's on it's weirdly on the BBC One schedule for like a few days from starting Saturday and carrying on through Sunday Monday, I think. Yeah. Fun. Which is an Irish drama. Okay. That's it. We're, we're done, but, but actually done this time. Uh, please do head over to Apple Podcasts or the platform of your choice and leave us a five, I don't know, Carrie Grant rating. Uh, and uh, we have to go because we have to get out of the studio. But I will say that on Pilot Plus, we will be reviewing the new Doctor Who special, which is very, very exciting. And on next week's podcast, we will have not only Keanu Reeves, but also Jodie Whittaker to talk us through their shows would be very, very exciting as well. Um, yeah. Oh, yeah. Follow us on social media as well. Do that. God, I don't know what I'm doing at the moment. At James no. C. Dye, at Boyd Hilton, at Kay Ribeiro, at Pilot TV Pod. Have I got anything else to say? Boydie, do I, do I need to impart any more information? No, or is that it? Doctor Who, remember, Saturday, I've 6.30. I said that one. Yeah, oh, well, yeah that's good. Saturday, 6.30, but we'll do that yeah, in Pilot we'll Plus. Pilot Plus. No, I mean, we're in disarray. <laughs> yeah. Absolute chaos here today. I don't know what is going on. Uh, we're going to go now. You won't hear any more of our terrible opinions or my terrible accents. So until next week... Pilot out. <laughs>